Hi, colleagues. I hope honorable members are in and they are fine because they've just been in another... Um, yes, you can you help us in terms of... Honorable uh, members are okay. You, you, you can help us in order to ascertain that we are all fine, but we have joined already. Okay, ma'am. Yeah, if you can please show your, 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 your picture quickly, because we don't have much time today. Yes. There, there uh, I am, Mama. You look beautiful, ma'am. Thank you. You are fine, ma'am. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask Honorable uh, Kunu. Um, I have just to put her budget horizontal. I see Honorable Mushodi is fine as usual. Honorable Muimang, you are okay. I can see now these days. We can see everything, sir. There is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> And then I need honorable Kunuze. Honorable Kunuze doesn't look good. We need to fix. Uh, are you in a car, ma'am? I can't hear you. Your gadget is, is, is shaking, and I hope it's not on a steady ground. It looks I, like you are I, in I a car. Vehicle? Yes, ma'am, I can see. But if you can, um, maybe find a book or something to put uh, uh, the gadget on. Because it's very difficult. You are cutting your head, you are cutting also your neck. We can't see your, your, your medium close-up shot. Shahida, if you can please ask members, all of if, if maybe we can request all members to please just show their, 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 their videos quickly. I think other members don't want to do that. It's fine. Hello, my video is okay Because you are in that situation, I can, we will have to accept it, but it needs to be steady, ma'am. Hello. I see you, but don't look to your right. Look straight to the to the gadget in front of you. But you are fine. Thank you, ma'am. Hello. Hello, ma'am. I can see you, Honorable Maha. Yes, I'm trying to unmute to 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 open the video. It says you have closed it uh, at your side. I'm not the host. Hosts, you closed honorable members' video. Don't do you mind maybe logging in and, and again, ma'am? Log out and log in again, ma'am. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And log in both with both video and, and, and audio.
Honorable Mahasela. Mahasela, yes. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, I can see you, and um, it's only that there is no light. You are There's a... no light, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because, because where I am, I'm in the office, and... Uh... I see there is a, a, some light on your left-hand side, a window or so. Are you able just... Yes, that thing, it's, it's the light nearly came in, so that yes. I could see you. Yes, if you can do that, we will be able to see you, ma'am. So can you see me now? It you it comes and and go. And now you are on silhouette. Yes, ma'am. Am I okay now? Yes, you. We can see you, and you reduced it again. No, I don't know what is happening. Maybe it's my gadget. Yes, yes. Leave it there. Yeah, it brings the light and takes it off. If you yeah. can, don't you want to turn and then, if ever it allows, if you can just maybe turn towards the, the window there. What I the see some, there is some, yes, if you, yes, yes ma'am, like okay. that. You are perfectly lit. It's just that, don't cut your, 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 your head, my, my head. head. Yes, a little bit. You can just move the guy, yes, ma'am. Then we like can this. still... Yeah, but you you are in the dark again. I don't know what's happening with that gadget. Yeah. I think I'm in the light now. Yes, you, yeah. Am I okay? Hi, Honorable Kai, I can see you. Honorable Sheikh, I can see you. Honorable Sheikh, can you just close a little bit that gap above you? You but And then you are fine. You are in the middle, you are fine. Hi, Honorable Chair, Deputy Chair. How are you, ma'am? Hi. <laughs> uh, just in time. <laughs> uh, okay. How are you, my dear? I'm fine. I'm fine. Last time I saw you was Saturday. Yes, ma'am. You'll see me mm. on Saturday, another Saturday. <laughs> Is it not Friday? Oh, no, on Friday, I mean to say yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, I'll see you on Friday again. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to check whether I'm I'm friend. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Just to go a little bit to your left, then that will be fine. You are framed well, only to towards the, le the left hand side. Yes, ma'am. Like that. Okay. Yes, yes. You are yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks, ma'am. Yes, honorable ma 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 Hasela. The light goes, but I think you you got it. Okay, Thanks, thank Honorable Sheikh. Um, we are going to start with the NCOP live. We rotate the two houses. We will go now with NCOP live, but then at three, we'll have to cross over to NA um, because we're rotating the houses. I just wanted to inform Honorable Chairperson and honorable members and deputy chair. Thank you. Thank you.
Recording in progress. Recording stopped. Can I, can I nominate a chair for the sitting? Yes. I'm happy to volunteer. I propose Honorable um, Lindy Nana as a chair. Approved. I accept the nomination. Support. Will it be, will it be Cadbury or chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> I also support. <laughs> <laughs> uh, na 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 na. 
Chocolates all around. The great Viva, Viva Viva <laughs> <laughs> condition that it gives everybody the chocolates of their choice, whether it be diabetic or otherwise. Done deal. Done deal. Not honorable Dango. Taking over with. Uh, with it's called bribery. Yeah, yeah, you can continue, Honorable Lana. <laughs> it's a coup. It's a coup. It's clear. It's a coup. Yeah, the house is suspended. <laughs> you know, a coup d'état. I see it now live with Honorable Lana. <laughs> There's a new government taking over. Is it the new color revolution? They had them in North Africa, they had them in Ukraine, now they want to bring them here? A blue color revolution. This one is proper, it's without guns. This is at least one that gets things done. Where's the chairperson? Otherwise, we have to suspend. Uh, I have a request from the chief of the chair and the deputy chair. They are just consulting on a matter that concerns the house and they will join us shortly. Uh, they apologize for the inconvenience. Thank you very much. Honorable Dangor, the silence is definitely better than the inputs that I expect from you guys later, so I am not complaining. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Aina. So little.
Uh, Advocate Pindel, I'm ready. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Mbunya. The house is uh, the house uh, correct. The house is ready. We like to take this opportunity. Okay. Uh, honorable members, now I'm going to bow to my right and bow to my left. Honorable members, now is the time of observation, observe moment of silence for prayer and meditation. Thank you, honorable members, you may sit down. Honorable delegate, before we proceed, I would like to remind you on the following. The visual sitting constitution, a sitting of the National Council of Provinces. The place of the city is deemed to be Cape Town, where the seat of the National Council of province is that the delegate in the visual city enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in the city of the National Council of Provinces. For purpose of quorum, all delegates who are logging on to the visual platform shall be considered present. Delegate must switch on their videos if they want to speak. That the delegate should ensure that the microphone on the gadgets are mute and must always remain muted. The interpretation facility is active Permanent delegates, members of the executive, special delegate, and SALGA representative are requested to ensure that the interpretation facility on their gadget are properly activated to facilitate access to the interpretation service. Any delegate who wish to speak must use the raise hand function. Honorable members, I have been informed that there will be no notice or motion without notice, except the motion on the other on the other paper in the name of the chief whip. Now, I would like to call on the Chief Whip. Honorable Chief Whip. I, I, I propose that the, the, the matter on the other papers then defer, Chair, till further notice. Okay. Uh, Honorable Delegate, before we proceed to the subject, 
for debate, I would like to take this opportunity to welcome the Deputy Minister of the Health, the, the Minister and Deputy Minister of Public Works and Infrastructure, MEC, and all special delegates to the House. I'll now call upon the Honorable E.S.E. Lucas, Deputy Chairperson of the National Council of the Provinces, to open the debate. Mayor Lucas. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair, Chairperson of the National Council of Provinces, House Chairpersons, Chief Whip of the National Council of Provinces, Permanent and Special Delegates. I have been mandated to open this debate, very important debate, and I want to open it with the wise words of the first president of Ghana, Dr. Kwame Nkuma, when he said, and I quote, Africa is one continent, one people and one nation. The notion that in order to have a nation, it is necessary for there to be a common language, a common territory and a common culture has failed to stand the test of time or the scrutiny of objective reality. The community of economic life is the major feature within a nation and it is the economy which holds the people together living in a territory. It is on this basis that the new Africans potentially recognize themselves as one nation whose dominion is the entire African continent, close quote. These words still ring through today, providing relevant perspective on Africa's desired unity, which must be based on econ economic unity, holding the people of Africa together as mechanism for dominion across the continent. As we strive to recover and reconstruct our economies, Africa must do so being mindful of the single most imperative of economic emancipation and independence, which is what has impeded an effective renaissance. Fellow South Africans, honorable members, Africa Day is a day of great significance to our continent and its people. It is essentially an annual commemoration of the foundation of the Organization of African Unity, which took place on the 25th of May in 1963 in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The OAU existed until it was disbanded on the 9th of July, 2002, when it was replaced by the African Union. Honorable Chairperson, a prosperous, stable, secure, and peaceful Africa remains an important objective of the South African government's international policy. For Africa to be prosperous, it must be based on inclusive growth and sustainable development. We must therefore recommit ourselves to eradicating the cyclical nature of poverty and inequality across generations by building shared and general generational prosperity through the social and economic transformation of our continent. It is imperative for Africa to become an integrated continent that is politically united based on the ideals of Pan-Africanism and the vision of the African Renaissance. <clears throat> the Pan-African Developmental Regional Integration Agenda has to do with regional integration for the political unification of Africa. In the main, people-to-people -people relations should be prioritized. The proper pursuit of regional integration in Africa 
must involve the mobilization of the people of Africa to understand that the ties that bind them to, in terms of the color and history of deprivation should make them denounce artificial barriers and disharmony, which was imposed by the imperialists. The pandemic accelerated the unequal treatment of Africa, driven by the rules and systems of global economic governance. It exposed the practical implications of inequality, notably the differences in state capacity to limit the socio-economic impact of lockdowns. The shifted terrain of the global political economy has significantly impacted Africa's economic standing, reversing some of the developmental gains we have made. It is therefore imperative that Africa's development and transformation be anchored towards accelerating Africa's economic transformation. Furthermore, the low growth trap faced by many African economies points to the need to comprehensively restructure African economies, or at least to the need for a robust economic transformation agenda for Africa. This must also include the restructuring of the African economy. Let us thus be reminded, Chairperson, today that there are tangible initiatives in place which are aimed at unifying Africa into a single political and economic entity. Among the most recent initiatives to advance this urgent pan-Africanist ideal is the ratification by many African countries in 2019 of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. The agreement essentially enjoys African Union member states to creating a single continental customs union through a single market and the free movement of people and business. It also enjoins African Union member states opportunities for increased intra-African trade through liberation and regional integration, as well as boosting investment, competition, and economic diplomacy through economies of scale. The African continental free trade area holds great potential to accelerate economic transformation, but only if well implemented with an alternative model of cooperation which is principally centered on a political agenda for the effective unification of Africa. This agreement has the potential to increase income and welfare for its member countries with estimated long-term income gains of up to 5% from the reduction in trade barriers in the context of the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. This is indeed an ambitious trade pact to form the world's largest free trade area by connecting almost all 1.3 billion people across 54 countries. The Africa Continental Free Trade Area Agreement <coughs> sorry, also provides tangible opportunities to transform Africa from a raw materials exporter to a producer of market competitive value added products for the continent to integrate into regional and global value change. This will also promote vertical and horizontal diversification anchored in value addition innovative approaches and local content development. Africa must also build integrated and complementary African value chains to support the commitment to transform Africa. This also ties in with key aspects of localization in South Africa's economic destruction and recovery plan, which calls for an integrated approach in the implementation of the economic recovery strategies across all the regions of the continent. A key component of the African agenda is the strengthening of continental and regional institutions. The primary importance will be to ensure that these institutions, particularly the AU, including its organs and the regional economic committees, as well as SADC, have sufficient political, intellectual, and technical capacity to respond quickly to the ever-changing context. In a paper titled 
institutional quality and economic performance in the South African Development Community Region, a dynamic panel analysis. Koliswa Malindini from the Witt School of Governance argues that the quality of institution has increasingly become a key determinant of economic performance. This confirms a paradigm shift from the conventional macroeconomic determinants to governance as a crucial determining factor of economic performance, particularly in developing countries where economic growth is stagnant or moving at a meager rate. The quality of institutions has increasingly become a key determinant of economic performance. Issues relating to state capability and governance-related matters are highlighted as key determinants in the economic performance and trajectory of our economies. Hence, in order to accelerate economic transformation and growth, there is a serious need to ensure that the quality of state institutions is drastically improved as a measure and marker for accelerating economic performance and growth on the continent. In March 2020, the Washington-based think tank, the Brookings Institution, released a report on Africa's trajectory for the next decade, including a damning chapter on the continent's preparedness for the fourth industrial revolution, which is also critical for accelerating Africa's growth trajectory. The opening remarks of the report ominously stated the following, and I quote, so far, it does not appear that Africa has yet claimed the 21st century as it still lags behind in several indicators essential for a successful digital revolution, close quote. This is particularly concerning when we consider that Africa has lagged behind in the three previous industrial revolutions across the globe. Progress has been, has been defined by the ability of humanity to adapt to change. Here, the continent has often missed the call. Our late arrival and slow pace of participation in the first three industrial revolutions has led to infrastructure gaps that still exist today. As a continent, it therefore becomes imperative that we must ensure that there is sufficient capacity in regional and continental institutions to advance and accelerate our preparedness for the fourth industrial revolution. We need to respond with urgency to illicit financial flows from Africa Honorable members, according to the Economic Development in Africa Report 2020 by the UN Conference on Trade and Development, Africa loses about 3.7% of its gross domestic product annually in illicit financial flows. This flows from mis-invoicing, tax abuse, cross-border corruption, and transnational financial crime are still draining resources from sustainable development as well as worsening inequalities, fueling instability, undermining good governance practices, and damaging public trust. The United Office on Drugs and Crime in its Strategic Vision for Africa 2030, which was launched in February 2021, knows that illicit financial flows remain a key impediment to Africa's attainment of the 2030 Agenda and the African Union Agenda 2063. Given the multi-dimensional and transnational nature of illicit financial flows, significant domestic resources illicitly acquired and channeled out pose a continent-wide developmental challenge. Given the magnitude of illicit outflows, these resources, if recovered or retained, have immense transformational potential for our continent. To put an end to this practice would require addressing the long chain of people involved, namely lawyers, accountants, banks, you name it. Only a global response can address this issue. As long as there is a single tax haven 
left on the planet where the illicit financial flows can transit and pros prosper, no lasting solution is possible. It means we have to invest in building strong institutions which can all effectively mitigate and bring an end to this phenomenon. Honorable members, it is imperative that we approach knowledge production across the continent as a pan-African pursuit. It is imperative that African agendas in knowledge production practices that are anchored in finding African solutions for African problems and challenges. More than 60 years ago, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah highlighted the importance of Africa-centered knowledge. Similarly, in the 1980s, Claude Ake, advocate for indigenous knowledge production in Africa. However, progress has been slow, indicated the decolonization of knowledge production has been slow. In order for Africa to prosper, it is imperative that we address the decoupling of universities and the nation's social, economic, and regional development and innovation networks. Africa's knowledge production endeavors must be inextricably linked to the developmental needs of the continent. Importantly, the industrialization drive must also be inextricably linked to the continent's development needs while leveraging the opportunities presented by the Africa Continental Free Trade Area Agreement to fund the industrialization endeavors. Through leadership, Africa must be able to produce a conscious African citizenry that is grounded in pan-African philosophies and driven to implement the African Renaissance agenda. We need to marshal our communities to address the issue of immigration in our country through principle of pan-Africanism and not allow ourselves, uh, I'm sorry, and the communities we lead to be overtaken by right-wing sentiments. We must agitate for effective border management. We must improve cooperation with other countries in the region so as to ensure that we put in place a more effective system to manage migration, particularly. New analysis released by the UN Development Program show that only a small proportion of COVID-19 vaccines have been administered in developing countries, leading to a widening gap between the rich and the poor. Studies show that if low-income countries had the same vaccination rate as high-income countries in September of 2021, they would have increased their GDP by 16.27 billion US dollars. These are all one of the main reasons why Africa must become fully integrated in order to address issues as a continental bloc, particularly issues relating to vaccine equity for developing countries. These continental bloc engagements should also extend to trade issues while working on ending financial and other dependency. As I conclude, Honorable Chairperson, as we embark on today's debate, we must appreciate the objective and subjective factors which continue to impede Africa's advancement. We must appreciate that the fundamental African development challenge has to do with the historical experience of colonialism, as well as the skewed global socio-political and economic order. Until Africa and Africans unite, all efforts for the betterment of the African condition will not gain much traction. Regional integration must be approached within the context of the political unification of the continent and the unity of Africans wherever they are. As a parliament of South Africa, through our oversight duty, we must ensure that SADC and the integration of its member states must be number one priority in our international relations oversight. The noble aim of Agenda 2063 is to ensure that all conflicts in Africa must be resolved by 2030. Through our role, we must demand that there has to be a clear alignment of our domestic program with the regional indicative strategic development plan 
without this, the, the vision of developmental regional integration, which is expected to help create a developmental state in the region and fight poverty will falter. We must ensure that this, what we have spoken about happen, but it should also include the development and the protection of women and children. That is very important. So that if we respond to both the globalization process and changing power dynamics that come with it, we need to take the women of Africa with us. I thank you, Chairperson. Thanks very, thanks very much, uh, Honorable Member. May Lucas, I'll now call the next speaker, Honorable Nana, TA. Thank you, Honorable House Chair, Honorable Members, South Africans, good afternoon. We are gathered here today to observe Africa Day, a day whose essence should really be to celebrate individual nations and collective achievements as a continent. But more so, Africa Day was created by the Organization of African Unity, the predecessor of the African Union, in order for this body and the continent to celebrate victories against colonialism and apartheid. Today, elsewhere on the continent, the African Development Bank is holding its annual meeting of member states to tackle, amongst other things, modern difficulties such as poverty, civil strifes, corruption, illicit cash flows, tax invasion, the negative impact of climate change, and the negative impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Since its, since its inception in 1963, the OAU saw it fit that on, it, on this day, all Africans, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed, should converge in unison to proclaim free at last from the bondages of colonialism and apartheid. Honorable members, previously, the OAU was clear in its mandate that Africa can never be totally free until South Africa was free and a democratic government was chosen based on, the elect based on, based on an election by the will of the majority. Following protracted and delicate negotiations, finally on the 27th of April, 1994, a democratic breakthrough was achieved and the people of South Africa came out in droves to elect a government of their choice. This event alone raised hopes and aspirations of South Africans for a better future for all of us. One key advantage for South Africa, having been the last country in Africa to attain its freedom, was we had an opportunity to observe and learn from the mistakes of our counterparts who had been liberated in earlier, in earlier years before us. Indeed, our country, in the earlier years of our young democracy, we were a shining light and, and the epitome of a democratic state envied by the onlookers from around the world. Needless to mention, honorable members, it became apparent when we took a wrong turn and followed in the path of all other failed states on the continent. What concerns me though, we took the turn some of us rang alarm bells 
but we were obviously shut down. We are now on a downward spiral and nobody seems to remember where did we go wrong. We are conveniently forgetting the enablers of former President Jacob Zuma's reign. Today, Africa lives on, the, on handouts, grants from the wealthier nations. Today, Africa is at the mercy of its former colonial masters. Today, Africa is ravaged by civil wars and coups. Today, Africa is an embodiment of corrupt and failing states. Honorable members, Africa is not short of fuel and gas. Africa is not short of mineral resources. Africa is not short of land. And we are most certainly not short of human capital and intellectual capacity. Africa has a short supply of trustworthy, ethical, and beyond reproach leaders. Africa lets leaders who put the interests of those who elected them before their own and those of their comrades and cadres. Africa is in short supply of leaders who never, vacillate, who never vacillate on matters of principle. Leaders who have the courage to stand up to the truth no matter how politically incorrect it is. Until we get ourselves this crop of leaders in power, I am afraid. A dream of building an integrated, prosperous, peaceful Africa will remain deferred. I wish to commend the African presidents and heads of states who chose to be on the right side of history, who chose hum humanity over destruction, who chose democra democracy over dictatorship, who had, who had the courage of their convictions by voting in the United Nations against the unlawful invasion of Ukraine by Vladimir Putin and siding with Russia. Finally, honorable members, I wish to congratulate the federal leader of the Democratic Alliance and the leader of the opposition, of the opposition in parliament, Honorable John Stianese, for showing bravery and courage of his convictions in the face of a real threat to his life by visiting Ukraine to see the, to, to see the destruction for himself. So said, three months down the line, three months into the war, the African Union has suddenly woken up they are now sending an envoy. Africans, we are on our own. It is us who can truly liberate ourselves from the despots and corrupt leaders on, on our continent. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, uh, Honorable Nana. Honorable Zanda Mela. Okay, now thank, uh, thanks, uh, House Chairperson. Am I audible? Nyaguzo, Nyaguzo, Honorable Member, you can speak. Okay, you may be Nyaguzo, but it's wrong. Nyabo. The Economic Freedom Fighters stands here today to mark the 59th anniversary of the founding 
of the Organization of African Unity, a day which is celebrated on a global scale by various African communities as Africa Day. Africa Day is a day of great importance to the continent because of this day. On the 25th of May 1963, African leaders met in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, to commence discussion aimed at uniting the African continent. This day stands significant to the continent and its people as it provides us with a day of reflection on Africa's achievements in the recent past and in its celebration of its population and culture. We are also granted an opportunity to remember the great historical achievements of the Pan-Africanist and founding fathers of the continental organization. This day therefore stands as a celebration of Africa, a continent which is home to 3 billion people and account for 16% of the world's population. The largest and second most populous continent after Asia, standing at approximately 30.3 million square kilometers. The EFF joins in and celebrates great African leaders which paved the way for this day. We salute the fighting spirit of revolutionaries who resisted the colonial spirit subjugation of the black uh, uh, majority. We salute the liberation heroes and heroes such as Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, Emperor Haile Silaisi, Julius Nyerere, and all those progressive who met in Addis Ababa to commence discussion in the United African continent. Each year we take pause on the 25th of May to celebrate Africa, to reflect on the long journey of political emancipation, the defeat of imperialism, and make an effort to understand the challenges which are faced today as a, as a, as a, as a continent. And we once again are reminded that the celebration of Africa Day is and should be celebrated of ourselves. A celebration of African political, economic, and social unity. It is a day for all African countries. House Chair, a day which is observed as a public holiday in 12 African countries Ghana, Mali, Namibia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Angola, Chad, Comoros, Equatorial Guinea, Lesotho, Liberia, and Mauritania, where citizens of these countries take a day off from work, school, and other duties to stay home, celebrate who we are and where we come from. Something which uh, we as South Africans are yet to have. This day should be a public holiday so that proper, reflection are proper reflections are made on what it means to be an African, an exercise which is much needed in our current xenophobic climate. As today, we see people from other countries, we see enemies in them, people who threaten us because we do not know or have an appreciation of our history. House Chair, the theme for this year's Africa Day from pandemic to epidemic is a great opportunity to focus and reflect on the common challenges which we face in a global context. We stand independent today we also cannot claim our independence is complete, for we know we are still fighting the legacy of colonialism and 
materials. Tough in our most recent past, the scourge of COVID-19 has left the continent exposed to poverty and unemployment. Colonialism still, still stands as the original pandemic for the African continent. Most African countries spent two generations under European colonial power, and in one way or other, almost all African countries were victims of the colonial period and the effect of colonialism are still visible in the continent. The current political instability, social disorder, and economic crisis experienced in Africa has their roots in the colonial period. Neo-colonial masters continue to ruthlessly extract and exploit natural resources from the African continent without uh, paying taxes at the expense of our people. Neo-colonial masters continue to sponsor civil conflicts and terrorism in the African continent because instability in the continent gives the space to extract and steal our natural resources without any consequences. France still remains a significant military presence in the continent and has been behind each and every conflict in the so-called Francophone Africa. There will therefore never be a progress in any of the countries until their relations with France are, are discontinued. <coughs> Excuse me. Which is why earlier this morning, as the EFF held a picket at the French embassy in Tuan to demand the withdrawal of France from the continent. As we celebrate African Day, may we be reminded of our Africanness and realize that we as a people are independent interconnected. As the EFF reaffirmed the principles contained in our founding manifesto, which states that the development of African continent is inextricably linked with the development of South Africa. For no amount of sustainable uh, socio-economic development and stability will, real, will be realized in South Africa unless the state plays an active role in, in economic development of the continent. We therefore need to strengthen the ability of our country and economy to absorb the labor forces. For, for no country can be sustained economic development without industrialization. We know this is to be true as most advanced social societies are currently enjoying, enjoying great economic gains through investing in their own people. House Chair, as EFF, we therefore say forward to the unity of the African continent and forward to the economic uh, uh, emancipation in our life. Thank you, House Chair. Thanks very much, Honorable Member. I'll now call Honorable Sheikh. Honorable Thank Sheikh. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, greetings to yourself, to the Deputy Chairperson, ministers and deputy ministers on the platform, all delegates of the NCOP and all South Africans. Honorable Chair, today we join the rest of Africa in commemorating and celebrating Africa Day. It was on this day 59 years ago that the great leaders of our continent gathered in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, to form the Organization of African Unity to define and shape the Africa of the future. 
It is perhaps prudent that on this occasion of the commemoration and celebration of Africa Day, we take a step back into history in order for us to move forward. On this day in 1963, the Emperor of Ethiopia, His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie said, and I quote, Africa is today at mid course, in transition from the Africa of yesterday to the Africa of tomorrow. Even as we stand here, we move from the past into the future. The task on which we have embarked, the making of Africa will not wait. We must act to shape and mold the future and leave our imprint on events as they slip past into history. For his part, the then President of the Republic of Ghana, His Excellency Kwame Nkrumah said, on this continent, it, is not, it has not taken us long to discover that the struggle against colonialism does not end with the attainment of national independence. Independence is only the prelude to a new and more involved struggle for the right to conduct our own economic and social affairs, to construct our society Yes, I can hear you now. Continue. 39 years later, in 2002, former President Thabo Mbeki with leaders of Africa gathered in the city of Durban, South Africa, to launch the African Union. In doing that, Africa was trans transitioning from the Africa of yesterday to the Africa of tomorrow, as Empress Selassie alluded to in 1963. At the launch of the AU, President Mbeki pointed out that as Africans, we have come to understand that there can be no sustainable development without peace, without security, and without stability. That the Constitutive Act of the African Union provided for mechanisms to address this change, which stood between the people of Africa and their ability and capacity to, to defeat poverty, disease, and ignorance. President Mbeki further said that we must work together for peace, security, and stability for the people of this continent, and we must end the census conflicts and wars on our continent as these have caused so much pain and suffering to our people and turned many of them into refugees being displaced or forced into exile. The Constitutive Act of the African Union also provides for mechanisms for dialogue and peace and peaceful resolution of conflicts to guarantee enduring peace and stability for our people. Our forebears have correctly asserted that the economic integration and social well-being of the continent can only happen in an environment of peace and stability the African Union Agenda 2063 was, has, amongst others, envisaged silencing the guns on the continent by 2020. The re reality is that the guns on the continent have not been silenced, while the deadline has been extended to 2030. As Africans, we should act in an extraordinary and unified manner 
to resolve the conflicts which continue to afflict our continent and hamper our development. Honorable Chair, Africa continues to face incidences of unconstitutional overthrow of governments carried through coup d'etats. In this regard, we commend the African Union's condemnation and suspension of membership of countries where the unconstitutional overthrow of governments has occurred. In addition to the condemnation, there is a need to conduct a thorough analysis of the cause of the coups and what is behind the coups. The president of Liberia, George Weyer, posed a question that we, that we should not rule out as Africans when we grapple with the resurgence of coups in the continent. President, president Weyer indicated that while we are condemning these military coups, we must also muster the courage to look into what is triggering these unconstitutional takeovers. And the question he asks is, could it be that we are not honoring our political commitments to respect the term limits of our various constitutions? Honorable Chair, the other challenge facing the continent is terrorism. The Malian Guardian newspaper reported in March 2022 that Sub-Saharan Africa accounted for almost half of global terrorism deaths in 2021. And according to the late, latest Global Terrorism Index report, the Sahel region is home to the world's fastest growing and most deadly terrorist groups. The report's findings indicate that violent conflict remains a primary driver of terrorism with more than 97% of terrorist attacks in 2021 taking place in countries that are in conflict. The report found that 48% of all terrorism deaths globally occurred in the four sub-Saharan African countries of Burkina Faso, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Mali, and Niger. The SADC region is also facing instability related to terrorism and insurgency, especially on the eastern coast side of the region, including Cabo Delgado in Mozambique. In this regard, we commend the role played by South Africa as part of the SADC intervention in Mozambique to bring stability. The president of South Africa, President Ramaphosa, continues to lead the SADC Troika to assist Mozambique to face up to the challenges that the country confronts. Progress in this regard has been registered, but more ground still needs to be covered. SADC has been able to make a meaningful contribution to securing a peaceful situation in Mozambique. This is carried through the SADC standby force in which our defense force plays a critical role. SADC has com committed that it is determined that Mozambique does not walk alone in the fight against this insurgency. Honorable Chair, the concerning situation in Iswatini requires our utmost support. We remain hopeful that the, that the proposed national dialogue to resolve the political situation in Iswatini will lead to bringing peace and stability to the kingdom. We are also hopeful that the mediation processes in the kingdom of Lesotho will bear fruits. We, we stand in support to the SADC efforts to bring stability in Lesotho. Generally, the region of SADC is relatively stable. However, these developments, if not averted, can destabilize the entire region. Earlier this year, Honorable Chaperson, the world witnessed the conflict in the eastern part of Europe. The war in Ukraine has, in a way, brought to the world the unresolved issues of the Cold War period. The expansion of NATO to Eastern Europe is a, matter, is a matter which defies the advice given for many years to NATO not to expand in that direction. The war has brought more stress to global supply and the economy. This impacts largely on the import and export of agriculture produce from Africa to the eastern part of Europe. The war also impacts on our energy demands as a country. In this regard, 
We firmly support the position of our government on the call for negotiations to bring peace in Eastern Europe. Our principal position is that we should resort to diplomacy to end the war without taking sides. This is in keeping with the principles derived from our foundational values and guided by our commitment to human rights, international law, and equality of nations. Some countries, especially from the West, are tacitly coercing Africa to take an adversarial position in the face of the war in Ukraine. We have to reiterate that the historic approach taken by our forebears in the context of the Cold War, that Africa adhered to a policy of positive neutralism and non-alignment, is still a relevant approach for Africa in this regard. Honorable Chair, Africa continues to face instability as a result of socioeconomic challenges. We are a continent rich in natural resources, yet our children go to bed hungry. The 2021 United Nations Conference on Trade and Development reported that while in 2019, 478 million people lived in extreme poverty, it is estimated that in 2021, 490 million people in Africa live under the poverty line of 1.90 purchasing power parity per dollar a day. And this is 37 million people more than what was projected without the pandemic. This points to the need for Africa to collectively intensify its efforts to reduce poverty and eliminate hunger on the continent in line with the sustainable development goals. The socioeconomic challenges of unemployment, poverty and inequality continue to confront Africa and Africans. This was further brought to the fore by the COVID-19 pandemic. Member States of the, of the African Union should ensure that they address these challenges domestically and on the continent. Many African people pushed by unbearable socioeconomic realities in their countries risk their lives on a daily basis to cross rough terrain and at, rough, and at times rough seas to enter Europe. Honorable Jefferson, the Africa we want should be enjoyed by all citizens of Africa. Without addressing these socioeconomic challenges, Africa will forever remain fragile in the attainment of peace and stability. The fight against corruption and criminality should, Honorable Chair, be our collective responsibility as Africans. We need to strengthen the institutions of democracy in our countries, as well as the continental bodies such as the African Union and SADC. In conclusion, Honorable Chair, as President Kwame Nkrumah said 59 years ago, that independence is only the prelude to a new and most involved struggle for the right to conduct our own economic and social affairs, to construct our society according to our aspirations, unhampered by crushing and humiliating neocolonialist controls and interference. Allow me, Honorable Chair, to convey a happy Africa Day to all. I thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thanks very much, Honorable Member. The next speaker is Honorable F. Ngomonye, Eastern Cape, MEC, Sports, Creation, Art and Culture. Honorable Ngomonye. Good afternoon, House Chair, um, the Chief Whip of the NCOP, Deputy Ministers present here today, permanent and special delegates to the National Council of Provinces, fellow MECs, Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, a very good afternoon to you all. Once again, Honorable House Chair, it is always a pleasure to make a contribution on matters before the NCOP. Today marks the 59th anniversary of the founding of the Organization of African Union, OAU, that was founded in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, in 1963. 
And it also marks 20 years since the establishment of the African Union in Devon in 2002. We are therefore called upon today, honorable members of the house, to remember who we are. It is befitting that we look back in order to look forward. Julius Nyerere, the former president of Tanzania, said in 1997, and I quote, what the founding fathers, certainly a hardcore of them, had in mind was a genuine desire to move Africa towards greater unity. We loathed balkanization of the continent into small and viable states, most of which had borders which did not make sense, ethnic sense or geographical sense, close quote. So the aim of these formations was to promote unity and solidarity of African states, but also spare economic development and promote international cooperation. Unfortunately, honorable members of the house to date, Africa is still divided by unmarked boundaries, boundaries of unnecessary competition among states and most unfortunately hatred towards each other as Africans that result into Afriphobia. The primary objectives of these institutions was to rid the continent of the remaining vestiges of colonization and apartheid. And another objective was to promote unity and solidarity among African states, also to coordinate and intensify cooperation for development, safeguard the sovereignty and territorial integrity of member states. South Africa is a member of the African Union and it participates actively to ensure the noble objectives are, are achieved. Africa Day, formerly known as African Freedom Day and African Liberation Day, thus provides us with a platform to celebrate and acknowledge successes of our united effort in the fight against colonialism, apartheid, as well as the progress that has been made over the last 59 years, whilst at the same time reflecting upon the common challenges that the entire continent is currently faced with. Honorable House Chair, I want to acknowledge that this month is very significant to us, particularly in the province of the Eastern Cape and the nation at large, as, as the icon of our liberation struggle, Tata Walter Sisulu was born um, 110 years ago in Nobo on the 18th of May, 1912. We are paying homage to Pamela and recognize that his fight for freedom was not in vain. Yesterday is the province we commemorated Buluuk massacre that took place 101 years ago, where more than 180 people were killed in a battle between the police and the Israelis who were gathered to celebrate Passover in the holy village of Ndabelanga Bulwuk in Koman. May their souls rest in eternal peace and rise in glory. These martyrs and many others who fought for liberation in our country and in the continent at large should serve as a broad shoulders we stand on as the leaders of today to liberate our continent. Attainment of our freedom and democracy was aided by active participation and support from our fellow African brothers and sisters on the continent and in, and in the diaspora. Our diversity as African states and similarities in our cultures, language, Neziduko, should unite us in the understanding that we are Africans, not because we come from Africa, but because Africa comes from us. 
The African Union's theme for 2022 is strengthening resi resilience in nutrition and food security on the African continent, strengthening agro-food systems, health and social protection systems for the acceleration of human social and economic capital development. This is very important topic because no continent can be able to develop without first being able to feed its people. Over the last decades, Africa has grown more dependent on important agricultural goods instead of developing its own. We can reverse this trend through management of the food value chain that enhances professional job opportunities for people that offer them as a decent living in a career. It would be very rewarding to contribute to feeding our own population and making our own nation resilient against external shocks. And I can assure you, Honorable House Chair, that the Eastern Cape has the best beef product, has the best mutton, has the best coastline, and is very rich in terms of agriculture. The food crisis that has been triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic, by the droughts and the war in Ukraine, are a stark reminder that Africans must take responsibility for feeding their populations. Africa imports agricultural products worth the US dollar 60 billion every year. If Africa were to be self-sufficient, it could finance long-term development investment. We need to trigger political action to produce the necessary change. COVID-19 has been a wake-up call. It demonstrated the need for Africans to develop resilience in the health sector, but also in the food security. The main factors that favor and influence agricultural activity in South Africa are our climate, the land we have, the soil and the vegetation. We also need to start changing the misconception that agriculture is not a good career path and encourage our young people Honorable House Chair. Oh, I thought you were speaking. Thank you very much. Um, we also need to start changing the misconception that agriculture is not a good career path and lacks opportunities for the youth. We must make agriculture fashionable. Agriculture is central to fostering economic growth. It also reduces poverty and improves food security. More than 70% of our rural population depends on agriculture for their livelihood and regional economic growth has been constrained by poor performance in the agricultural sector. The media and our uh, lived experiences have exposed us to incidents of crime against fellow African national, nationals. We need to rise up and raise our voice when fellow African brothers and sisters are harassed, injured, killed, and their properties backlogged into and looted on our soil on the pretext that they are undocumented and thus illegal citizens in South Africa. We understand the frustration of our compatriots who are victims of daily reported crimes that are allegedly committed by South Africans and foreign nationals. The South African police service are dealing with these cases and we are making a clarion call for South Africans to stop campaigns like Operation Dudula that have criminal elements in them. South Africa is a member to a global village and we need to think out of the box and find creative and innovative ways and means to solve our socio-economic challenges. Research suggests that domestic investment 
net official development assistance inflows, education, government effectiveness, urban population, and metal prices positively and significantly affect Africa's economic growth. In conclusion, House Chair, Whatever a country's specific history and circumstances, a number of measures have proven specifically fruitful in reducing inequalities across the region. We must uh, increase productivity amongst the small-scale farmers and ensure that women have access to land. We must also reverse urban favoritism in, in servicing uh, our economic uh, economic opportunities. We also need to focus on enhancing social services and ensure access to social protection. We have excelled in improving the lives of our people, including those of our siblings from other African countries. And we can do more to make Africa a better continent to work and live in. Thank you very much, House Chair. Thanks very much, Honorable Member. The next speaker is Deputy uh, Minister, uh, Honorable S.M. Lomo. Chairperson, the leadership of the NCOP, uh, members of uh, NCOP, MECs, logged in, uh, ministers, deputy ministers. Pandemics are widespread, rapid spread of diseases with exponential rising cases of over large areas. For a pandemic to reach an endemic phase, it would need to be a situation where you have a control level of a disease. This means that while some people would still get infected, it would not be an unbearable number of devastating consequences that overwhelms the public hospitals, the health systems, and the providers. There is no hard and fast rule for when a pandemic becomes endemic. South Africa has an opportunity to move from COVID-19 from being a pandemic to an endemic, which means that the disease will still be around and will remain, but the level would not be causing significant disruptions in our lives and the whole country. Chairpersons, vaccination acceptance and the programs of government that have been put in place will remain the key going forward. Currently, South Africa has administered at least over 35 million doses of COVID-19 with a population of over 49%, at least with a single dose of the adult population and 45% of our people actually are fully vaccinated. We also note that this program, while Omicron variant of COVID-19 leads to an enormous surge in positive cases around South Africa, they were encouraging signs connected to the endemicity. For the most part, people who were vaccinated and then tested positive had mild symptoms or were not symptomatic at all. The more people who are vaccinated, the better for us. We can conclude that in a way, the disease is much milder, at least uh, so far for vaccination-based immunity appears to be provided very to provide very broadly the immunity against multiple uh, variants. As much as it is important to keep track of the percentage of test positivity, we need, among other things, to really make sure we come forward and vaccinate. Going forward, government institutions should be actually given that space and be allowed to really run these campaigns and transforming our programs. Some of the attempts were implemented through social programs by government 
and those actually demonstrated that there was actually an, a desirability to improve the lives of our people. Chairperson, there are principles that we can all embrace, public and private, locally and globally, that human resources for health are key for preparedness and response. They are crucial for health services and they are key components of health services on health systems up to at least 60%. Therefore, Chairperson, investment in human resource for health is strategic investment. Coincidentally, the AU envoy made such investments. It takes, it takes many years to develop a person's skill, but you get many more years of service back on that investment. WHO global targets are to, are to support every country to vaccinate at least 40% of its population by the end of the year and 70% of the world's population by the middle of next year. According to WHO, by March, the continent Africa had fully vaccinated just 15% of the adult population. 15 countries were yet to vaccinate at least 10% of their population, while 21 African countries had vaccinated between 10 and 19% of their populations. Only five countries in Africa had vaccinated between 40 to 69% of their adult population, of which Mauritius and Seychelles had surpassed the 70% vaccination coverage. Chair, I've just returned from Cuba, the People's Republic of Cuba. The population of 11.5 million is vaccinated up to 93%, which is also significant in that, what is significant is that Cuba did not depend on anyone in the world to manufacture vaccines for them. They did not purchase any COVID-19 vaccines. Vaccines were, were manufactured in the Cuban government under the Cuban researchers and scientists. The message to us in Africa is to wake up Africa, you can do this. More than 5.7 billion doses have been administered globally, but a pitiful portion of those have been administered in Africa. The longer vaccines inequality persists, the more the virus will keep circulating and, change, and changing because the pool of people who do not have immunity is too large to prevent virus mutations. Furthermore, the longer the social and economic disruptions will continue, the impact will be higher chances than more variants will then emerge and give us challenges. By, by May this year, COVAX has delivered 1.49 billion COVID-19 vaccines doses to 145 countries. But as you know, COVAX has also faced several challenges with manufacturers prioritizing bilateral deals and many high-income countries um, tying up the global supply of vaccines. The African Union established the African COVID-19 Vaccination Acquisition Task Team, a complement to COVAX, to purchase vaccines for the AU member states only, for a sustainable supply of vaccines, and to ensure reduced re vulnerability. But Africa must also produce vaccines, diagnostics, and therapeutics and dramatically reduce dependency on imports from the, from the rest of the world. Right now, there's a process of building partnership in vaccine manufacturing in the country, like we know of Aspen, and also we are very much delighted on those. Now we need to create sustainable capacity to manufacture all these biologicals, among other things that have shown us that we are capable of doing this. And we also do have 
a very uh, important institution in our country, DINEL, which could be repurposed to manufacture health technology for the continent and transition may not also be very difficult. Now, we also want to say this is actually very much important to our country. The African Union Commission, specifically African CDC, believe that Africa needs a new public health order to safeguard the health and economic security of the, of the continent as it strives to meet the aspirations of the Agenda 2063 and react to the future disease threats. It is envisaged that the new public health order would enable cross-continental and global collaboration, cooperation and coordination. It is also believed that the following four pillars would make it more comprehensive than ever. And this plus is one, strengthening public health institutions, two, strengthening public health workforce, three, expanded and strengthening African manufacturing of vaccines, diagnostics and therapeutics, and lastly, respectful action-oriented partnership. Now, if we then have these processes, African manufacturing of vaccines, diagnosis and therapeutics, it is clear that the issue around intellectual property rights and vaccines in Africa is an issue that we need to take head on with the World Trade Organizations to waiver some of the intellectual property rights on vaccines and medicines, as well as some key issues around pharmaceuticals in Africa. Uh, we are closely monitoring this and we need not to actually move our head out of it. Intellectual property rights are some of the main hindrances for Africa to move faster in manufacturing vaccines for the people of Africa, as well as much needed medicines and the medicinal equipment. Intentional property transfer and waiver of some of these rights on vaccines and medicines are some of the essential requirements to assist most of the vaccine manufacturing in Africa to attain the required permission to use existing licenses to produce vaccines safely for our continent. It has, been, it has to be considered that there are advantages to partner based on in, based on intellectual property transfer between large vaccine manufacturers and smaller ones, so that we can actually ensure that the entry into the market is easy, increase in volumes of vaccines that are produced, and regional expansions is actually key. So we would need chairperson to continue to really uh, fight this and uh, support the struggles of largely India and South Africa that are leading uh, in their efforts to remove the intellectual property limitations on local, on, on local vaccine production. In particular, the COVID-19 pandemic accentuated the desire for, for countries to produce their own vaccines for the public health security of their citizens prior to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. It is important to note that while we are having all these efforts, the AU, European Union, continues to oppose the movement to remove monopolies and intellectual property property protections for COVID-19 uh, medical uh, tools. Brazil has actually developed proper, uh, policies that have allowed the local vaccine production and we need to support uh, them on that one. On the issues of food security and health outcomes, Chair, would like to indicate that Africa was estimated to have a population of 1.2 billion people in 2018 and the fastest urbanizing continent with a growth rate of more than 2.7%. Large youth population presents a potential demographic dividend that is adequately leveraged with the right uh, investments. Uh, according to the findings of the Continental Accountability Scoreboard that was launched by the AU and the African Leaders for Nutrition 
2019, the data shows that more than 150 million children under five years of age in Africa are stunted. So, sorry, in the world are stunted. But 57.8 million of those who are stunted of the 150, almost a third are in Africa. Only seven member states have stunting rates below 19%. 15 member states have children wasting prevalence below 5%. So you could therefore see, Honorable Chair, that food security and nutrition remains the most challenging health threat to the population of Africa at large. Each year, one in 10 people in the world fail ill, uh, they do fall ill from contaminated food. In Africa alone, 137,000 people die every year due to consumption of unsafe food. It has been estimated that the public health burden of foodborne disease is comparable to the malaria, HIV, and AIDS. Apart from its public health impact, unsafe food has serious implications for food security, nutrition. As you conclude. As I conclude, Honorable Speaker, we would like to say as we celebrate the Africa Day, we need to look inwardly, look into Africa and see what can we do. So partnership strengthening of African strides is the key so that we one day could, see, could say, just like Cuba, when everybody is having embargoes on us, we will not be able to uh, look up to them for support, but we can support ourselves and move on as a continent. We need one another in Africa. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thanks very much, Mshonishwa. Um, uh, the next speaker is Honorable D. Ryder. D.A. Thank you, House Chair. When one considers the lofty position of respect, the moral high ground that South Africa enjoyed in the early years of our democracy, when we were the darlings of the world, who would have thought that we would be standing here today ashamed of ourselves and the role that we play in international affairs on our continent and in the world. As we stand here, having lost the position of the largest economy in Africa to Nigeria, we must, in diagnosis and evaluation, consider the symptoms of this and then determine the root cause. Yes, the economy of South Africa under the ANC has worsened considerably and the economic empowerment that we all agree needs to happen has failed. South Africa is the most unequal country in the world. This is a cry that is often repeated in this house, a cry that is usually used for the justification of race-based schemes. But the cold, hard truth is that under the ANC's model of black economic empowerment, the Gini coefficient, and that's the measure of, uh, that's used to measure inequality, has actually worsened. Unemployment is fast approaching 50%, reportedly the worst in the world. So here we are. The ANC is continuing for Wood's work, entrenching poverty and dependence. The average GDP per capita has been declining since 2014. This means that on average, South Africans are poorer now than we were then. Now when we need it, when the price of fuel, food, and most goods is soaring. Why do you think that we have fringe groups forming 
to demand the ejection of our African brothers and sisters from our country. It's nothing more than a fight for resources amongst people desperate to fill their stomach. What else can we talk about in the speech on Africa Day other than the xenophobic calls from some of our fellow South Africans? Next will be calls for jobs in each province to be given only to those born in that province. Then it will come down to towns, wards, and neighborhoods. Already we see calls for contracts to be given only to people living in a certain place. And don't throw the issue of illegal immigrants back at me. This government has made it almost impossible for people to enter this country legally. Home affairs is absolutely dysfunctional, and the staff there see immigrants as an ATM to use as easy targets for bribery. If you hear the words illegal immigrant coming from your lips, stop and check your privilege. Go and talk to the hundreds of foreigners who queue for hours at horrid affairs every day, trying to comply with our nonsensical regulations designed to give petty officials a chance to demand bribes. Yes, the symptoms all point to one disease. The African National Congress, through their policies, are the root cause of our fall from our hegemonic position as regional and continental leader. BEE has failed to address the apartheid legacy of inequality. The various policies of RDP, GEAR, the New Growth Path, and now the NDP have all failed and been abandoned, leaving us all a little bit poorer. Yes, the names of the super rich may have changed a little bit, but the majority still languish in poverty. Investors from around the world decry the policy uncertainty playing out under a weak president, following on from the everybody grab what you can while you can president. Our international relations are so bad that we've become complicit in human rights abuses in our region and beyond. I think here of silent diplomacy in Zimbabwe while people are tortured and killed. Our assistance with the harboring of Omar al-Bashir when we should have arrested him. The deafening silence on Myanmar. And of course, the ANC's recent support of Eastern imperialism as Russia invaded the Ukraine. In Amnesty International's 2019 article on human rights abuses, South Africa was the fourth country mentioned as a bad example. Don't dare lecture us, Mr. Dangor, on Africa while your poverty cabinet continues to create a perfect environment for the rise of Operation Dula and the populist politicians who support their cause. In conclusion, Chair, as we gather to discuss an integrated, prosperous and peaceful post-COVID Africa in an environment of increasing distrust, declining prosperity and xenophobic mutterings, the treatment that South Africans need is clear. I therefore prescribe an extended dose of Democratic Alliance government because only the DA can help South Africa take back its rightful place as the economic powerhouse of Africa where our people can enjoy the fruits of our substantial resources. I thank you. Thanks very much, Honorable Ryder. The next speaker is Honorable Mavimbela, KwaZulu Natal, MEC, Art and Culture. Honorable Mavimbela. Thank you very much, Greetings to the Chief Whips of the NCOP, the Honourable Members and the guests. It is an honour and privilege to join millions across the world 
as we celebrate Africa Day. This Africa Month comes at a time when Guazulu Natal is still recovering from the devastating floods which have displaced thousands from their homes with some families still searching for their loved ones. It is important now more than ever for us to reach out to those in need in our communities to lend a hand and practice what our ancestors have taught us, Ubuntu. As we celebrate Africa Day, I am reminded of a speech delivered by Ghana's first president, Kwame Nkrumah, during the founding of the AU in Addis Ababa on the 25th of May, 1963. He said, and I quote, our objective is African Union now. There is no time to waste. We must unite now or perish. I am confident that by our concerted effort, determination, we shall lay here the foundation for a continental union of African states, close quote. A foundation which was laid 59 years ago is still what binds us as the African continent. The theme for this year's Africa Day is from the pandemics to the endemics, building an integrated, prosperous and peaceful Africa beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. The aim for this year's theme is to maintain a strong political momentum on nutrition across the African continent. It is a unique opportunity to strengthen continental commitment to end malnutrition in all its forms and to further improve food and security in the African continent. Triple challenges of poverty, unemployment and inequality remains the worst enemy for our democratic state, as many of our people remain below the poverty line. The outbreak of COVID-19 pandemic and the civic unrest we faced in July last year also played a part in many households losing income, putting a strain in our economy. With this year's theme, it gives us an opportunity as the African countries to come together as we rebuild communities. In order for this to succeed, we need to be tolerant of each other and embrace our brothers and sisters from other African countries. This Africa Month, let us promote the clarion call for an end of xenophobic attitude, expression and behavior as these are contrary to the Pan-Africanism and African Cultural Renaissance Mandate. We can do this articulating the importance of Africa Month in driving the united efforts for decolonization and regeneration of the African continent. It is our duty to lead by example and educate youth to take pride in their culture and heritage. It is up to us to ensure that we educate them about tolerance and acceptance of those that come from different cultural, linguistic, and religious backgrounds. Let Africa Month be a month where we showcase different cultures 
from the continent and learn different cuisines, which are enjoyed in different parts of the continent. The Department of Sport, Art and Culture that I am leading will continue to deliver programs that are aimed at fostering national pride and social cohesion for the African continent to, to thrive. It is important for us to teach our young people about their culture, what it means to be their decolonizers, decolonized history, and what it means to be South African and African. We need to teach them how families in Africa were self-reliant, how they could utilize land to ensure food security and wealth. We need to foster these values at a young age. Hence, we are excited that we have concluded the framework on implementation of school sports, art and culture program at all Guazulu Natal School. Lapa Silandela Isisho Sesizulu Esiti Ligojwa Libunjwe Liseba Loku Ukumbisa Ugubalulega Kokufundi Saizingani Zetuzis Nane Ugubalulega Wimbilu Yase Africa Gandhi Lokusizo Gwenza Muksebenzisa Eze Milalo Eze Ubutigo Neza Masiko. The African pride can only be realized enforced when we are able to take our people out of poverty and ensure that they become self-sustained and reliance. We need to ensure that our young people are trained to take advantage of the fourth industrial revolution and become creators of job opportunities. We need to revive what former President Tabumbegi echoed when he was given an address in 1996. In passing of the Constitution of South Africa, he said, and I, and I quote, I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the desert, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing season that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frost, in our later days snow. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by the startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The, fragran the fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizen of the field. A human presence among all these, a feature on the face of our native land, thus define, I know that none dare challenge me when I say I am an African, close quote. As a proud African, let us stand together and unite and ensure that the vision that our forebears had when the African Union was founded is achieved. Let us let our action show unity that President Kwame Nkrumah envisioned to show Africa to be prosperous for generations to come. Honorable Chairperson, 
I will not be proud if I cannot respond to honorable member who is talking about the weak president because we are where we are as the South Africa because of the apartheid government that have removed our pride and dignity. So we are fighting as this current government in terms of bringing back the pride of the African people. Thank you, honorable chair. Thanks very much, uh, Honourable Member. The next speaker is Honourable MC Mahasela Lipompo Chepesin, Sports, Art and Culture. Honourable Mahasela. Honourable Chair of the House, uh, Honourable Nguenya, Deputy Ministers who are with us, Members of the National Council of Provinces, Honorable MECs, invited guests, ladies and gentlemen, I greet you. Allow me, members of this August House, to extend my, my sincere appreciation to the Honorable Chair of the House for having invited me to say a few words on the occasion of Africa's Day celebrations which is being marked today. We are proud to be in Africa today. We are also products of the soil and the blood, the sweat and the tears of Africa, our common mother continent. We also commit ourselves to work with other Africans in our region and the rest of our continent to promote the achievement of the goal of African unity. That unity also means that in our own country, South Africa, we must continue to live together with our brothers and sisters from other African countries as good neighbors. Hello, Honorable Chair. Yes, honorable member. Or oh, am I audible? Yes, you are. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as a continent and the world, it is barely a few months that we emerged from the notorious COVID-19 pandemic that has, create, that has created universal impact on, on mental health. Depression and other conditions which worsened as financial instability, isolation, gender-based violence, and other factors generated by this crisis. As countries in Africa and elsewhere roll back strict measures against COVID-19 and aim to soon declare the pandemic over, South Africa and public health stakeholders are also starting to, to shift their attention. Vaccination continues to remain important, but the focus is moving on to longer-term testing and surveillance approaches that can be integrated into and with strengthen and will strengthen national health systems. Honorable Chairperson, let's all know that countries will not enter an endemic face at the same time because of variable host, envir environmental, virus factors, including vaccination rates. 
the availability and rollout of booster vaccine shots each year or, se or season will also shape this path. Poor vaccine coverage could allow the virus to continue at an epidemic level for longer. In a location where immunity wanes quickly and there are no longer booster shots available, COVID could go from end. In Africa, less than 13% of the population had been fully vaccinate, vaccinated as, from, as of March 2022. In a continent of, of 1.4 billion people, only about 693 million COVID-19 vaccine doses have been received, with nearly 40% of the, these doses not yet administered, administered back to epi, epidemic. Members, today it has been reported that Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has expressed confidence that the continent is now better prepared to deal with any likely pandemic and disease outbreak, including monkey, monkeypox, noting that the new disease outbreak will continue to occur anywhere as seen with the monkeypox and wild polio. The African CDC, which is Commonwealth Development Corporation and AU members, states should be encouraged to mobilize public health assets that are required to do a good diagnosis to identify, respond, and contain hotspots. As Africans, we have reasons to be extremely chuffed, and a round of applause for our collective achievement will surely not be amiss. Today, Africans on the continent and indeed the diaspora are joined together in celebrating Africa, Africa Day, the most auspicious event on the continent calendar. On behalf of the Limpopo Provincial Government, I take this opportunity to convey our best wishes to all Africans everywhere. We also recommit ourselves as the provincial government to work with government at large to promote the achievement of the, of the goal of African unity. Honorable Chairperson, Africa is given so much to us and to the world. Africa fought relatively uh, with us against apartheid. And as South Africans, we will forever be indebted to the continent and its people. The Africa of which I speak has been generally acknowledged as the cradle of humanity. Honorable members, with the high levels of unemployment and vulnerable employment on the rise, the world of work in Africa is still facing tremendous challenges in terms of job creation and sustain sustainability. Unemployment appears to be on a downward trend in Africa but labor market distress remains pervasive, particularly among women and youth. The QLF revealed that in second quarter, the number of employed people fell by 54,000 54, to 14.9 million, while the number of unemployed individuals increased by 584,000. As it stands, 7.8 million South Africans between the ages of 21 and 64 are in unemployed. All other measures will be taken to avoid the recurrence of the criminal violence, which has 
uh, besmirch the good image of South Africa. On this day, Africa Day, let us pause to reflect on what, what it means to be a human being, a South African and an African. Thus, we shall be able to answer questions whether we are on the right path towards the dawn of a new day for Africa and her people. Therefore, lobbying all African countries, we need to strengthen the ability of economies to absorb the labor force. History has shown that countries cannot be sustained economic, economic, development, economic development without industrialization and without a best of entrepreneurial energy. In this part, uh, particularly true in many East Asian countries where the demographic trans trans transition has been especially rapid. Picking China as an example, it has clearly enjoyed significant gains where the demographic uh, dividend contributed to nearly one quarter of the economic growth in the past three decades was also spurred by an emergence of a strong private sector and entrepreneurship. Honorable Chairperson, we are worried about the rise of xenophobia and particularly Afrophobia, racist, racism, and disrespect of Black African lives, which has now become a defining future vigilantist mindset and which we must unequivocally condemn in totality. Members, I'm saying this, pointing out the Operation Dudula, and we must all assist one another to understand the phenomenon of, of migration, its global nature, its causes, and how others elsewhere in the world manage it, avoiding its mismanagement. Civic education is vital part of what we need to do to deal with the events of the last two weeks wherein white students urinated on Babalo Mwanyana's desk. Uh, this is uh, the time for unity and we don't need that in our beautiful continent, uh, Honorable Chair. It is, a, it is a time to speak with one voice against some, something which, is, which, if it takes root, will take us back to a past of violent conflict which no one among us can afford. All our communities should remain ever vigilant, making it forever impossible for anyone to manipulate their concerns and aspirations for criminal purposes. Honorable members, mind you, as a continent, we have emerged into independence in a different age, with imperialism grown stronger, more ruthless and experienced, and more dangerous in its international association. Our economic advancement demands the end of colonialist and neocolonialist domination in Africa. But just as we understood that the shaping of our national destinies required of each of us our political independence and bent all our strength to this attainment, so we must recognize that our economic independence resides in our African Union and requires 
the same concentration upon the political achievement. The unity of our continent, no less than our separate independence, will be delayed if, indeed, we do not lose it by hobnobbing with colonialism. African unity is, above all, a political kingdom which can only be gained by political means. The social and economic development of Africa will come only. Let's conclude, honorable member. Ladies and gentlemen, I conclude my address. Let us heed Kwame Nkrumah's reminder when he said, I quote, I am not African because I was born in Africa, but because Africa was born in me. Closed quote. I wish you a very successful Africa Day celebration 2022. May God bless Africa and the people. I thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thanks, Honorable Member. The next speaker is Honorable FF Detroit, FF Plus. Honorable Voorzitter, 25th May is a day used specifically to celebrate Africa's independence, freedom, and liberation strife from colonial powers. The event commemorates the Organization of African Unity, which is commonly known as the African Union, 25th May 1963. The move was originally inspired by Ghana's independence, and Ghana was the first country in the south of the Sahara gaining its independence on 6 March 1957. Suid-Afrika, Meiland, die een imperialistische regering verdedig het. Ek is trots om as deel van een groepering geassocieerd te word met helde soos Della Rai en Louis Bota, Dani Tron, een man wat twee liefdes gehad het, sy nooi en sy vaderland, een strijder wat heldhaftig alleen sy man tegen die gevreesde Britse leer gestaan het en op die einde met kanonvuur verpletter moes word om sy gerechtverdige vechtlis trots oorlevensdrang en vaderlandsliefde te den. Sy legende leef steeds voort in ons wezen. General Christian Rudolf de Wet, a great boer general, whose name is inextricably woven into the epic struggle of Afrikaners and the independence from British rule in South Africa. Suid-Afrika staan stil. Hier kom een man voorbij. I'm not like some that claim independence, the thousands that allowed themselves to be used by the imperial forces to raid Afrikaner farms. Voorzitter, kolonialiste het die reikdom en potentiaal van verskillende lande recht voor die wereld gesien, dit ontgin infrastructuur gevestig en soms op vervrongen wijze vooruitgang, kindigheid, potentiaal gevestig voordat het weer Afrika en Indiëse oevers verlaat het. Dit het uit niks iets gemaakt. Amal het de prijs betaal. Some celebrate independence after being given the keys to the kingdom in 1994, long after the imperialists sailed from our shores. What did the ANC regering with the unafhankelijkheid gedoen, what in 1994 in all Oranagis was, had already been built on the unafhankelijkheid that South Africa in 1961 had. India in 1947 Singapore and Malaysia were under the colonial rule. After independence, they didn't blame their past. They prospered and used their past as a foundation to build successful economies 
prosperous nations without measure, world's destinations. Zuid-Afrika het die imperialistische heerskapie ten spuite van concentratiekampe en moordkommandoes oorleef. Zuid-Afrika het verwoesting, die nalatenskap van die Engelse verskroeide aardebeleid en ook dit oorleef en weer opgestaan. Zuid-Afrika het die Spaanse griep en die groe depressie oorleef. We survived the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic to which about 2.5% of Africa's population succumbed about 130 million people. South Africa survived the 1994 elections, the 28-29 recession, the 29-2018 Zuma reign, the ANC COVID lockdown regulations, and 28 years of race-based legislation protecting and furthering the rights of the majority. South Africa will never become truly independent or prosperous if it continues to rely on outdated ideologies like socialism, racism, or race-based approaches. Are we really independent, Chair? Does this government really want an integrated and prosperous, peaceful South Africa? Ons het tot nou toe, en sal met ons inherente veerkrachtigheid in die toekomst die ANC oorleef. Laat ons soos Japie Greiling, die kinderheld van Hoopstad, nie swig onder die geblaf van die vijand nie. Ons sal oorwin. Dankie, voorzitter. Thanks very much, uh, Honourable Member. Uh, the next uh, speaker is uh, Honourable Mayor, Western Cape, MEC, Agriculture. MEC, Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and thank you for this opportunity. On July the 27th of 2020, the World Bank published a report on the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. This report highlighted that the African Continental Free Trade Agreement presents significant opportunities for the African countries to bring 30 million people out of extreme poverty. With the, with the implementation of the Africa Free uh, Continental Trade Agreement, trade facilitation that cuts red tape and simplify customs procedures would drive 292 billion US dollars of the 450 billion US uh, potential in incomes. Talking about Africa brings us nowhere, Madam Chair. Doing in Africa is more rewarding and more impactful. Today, on the 25th of May, I am celebrating Africa Day as I am proud to announce today that I have received today a research report and our Western Cape government's agricultural Africa strategy. Today signs hope for Africa and the Western Cape on ag agriculture. Today signals hope for Africa on the continent. Africa is a place of hope, and we intend on translating hope into outcomes, clear deliverables, trade and investment, and prosper prosperity. This is our message of hope, Madam Chair, because Africa is a continent with abundant possibilities and resources. The objective is to unlock 
agricultural opportunities in Africa and in the Western Cape agricultural sector. Madam Chair, in doing so, the Western Cape government seeks to achieve the following outcomes on Africa Day. Firstly, to increase economic growth of the agricultural sector in the Western Cape and in Africa. The Western Cape, Madam Chair, is already responsible for 53% of all South Africa's agricultural exports. Secondly, to increase our employment in the agricultural sector in the Western Cape, but also on the African continent. Thirdly, to increase provincial and household food security in Africa and in the Western Cape rural communities. Fourthly, Madam Chair, resilient trade and business relationships in the Western Cape, using the Western Cape as a gateway into Africa. Madam Chair, to attain these outcomes, the Western Cape Department of Agriculture will take the following necessary steps. Firstly, we will create an enabling environment for economic growth. We will pool our PPP knowledge, skills and efforts by sharing and understanding the co-creation of solutions to enhance economic growth. But we will also increase productivity, food security through precision agriculture, but also learning from our colleagues on the African continent, particularly also on our neighboring states. Madam Chair, we will also seek reduce protection in respect of the outward trade regime market access and integration. Honorable House Chair, we will also realize that this is important to facilitate this by a sharper focus on intergovernmental collaboration and problem solving. Also the establishment, and Madam Chair, this is unique. We will establish an Africa agribusiness innovative center here in the Western Cape. We will also establish in celebrating Africa, not talking, but doing, we will establish an agrotech and innovation hub and providing also policy and regulatory support to all our farmers. Honorable Chair, we are beyond political rhetoric on Africa. We are actioning our dream for Africa. With our, with our friends on the continent. Honorable Chair, seven out of the 10 fastest growing economies on, in the world are on the African continent. That's the hope we have for Africa. Hope means higher opportunities for people to excel on the continent of Africa. Because seven out of the 10 fastest growing economies are on the African continent, although from a low base. And South Africa, Madam Chair, is lagging behind because we have a failing state in South Africa. The ANC is a failed state. Madam Chair, the ANC does not care for Africa. Former President Zuma insulted Africa at the public meeting when he said, this country is not like a highway in Malawi. What an insult to our colleagues on the African continent. But Madam Chair, it was Shakespeare Hamlet who said, as he con contemplated suicide, he said, and I quote, here lies the rub, unquote. The ANC government has a disastrous track record as Honorable Member Dennis Ryder indicated when it comes to dealing with issues of border post inefficiencies, 
harbor inefficiencies, high transactional cost, corruption, and administrative burden, and the provision of infrastructure. Madam Chair, today, I call on President Ramaphosa to begin displaying leadership qualities of President Haikainda Chalema of Zambia. He governs with humility yes, for and, your and determined to root out corruption. His stone in Zambia is firm, resolute, yet with great passion and compassion for the people of Africa. He governs with humility. He's a true example of servant leadership from Africa for Africa. Madam Chair, doing so will significantly enhance the chances and the promise of the benefits of the Africa Free Trade Agreement accruing to all South Africans. Madam Chair, the Western Cape Department of Agriculture will concretize the Africa Free Trade Agreement in the interim, and I will soon embark on a study visit to take advantage of the benefits, both for Africa, both for South Africa, but also for the people of the Western Cape, because we are a net exporter of agricultural products. Madam Chair, let us adopt a resolution today on Africa Day. Let this House declare poverty a pandemic and let us start a revolution and invest in food security, sustainability, well-being and dignity. But let us first kick out the corrupt African National Congress because they keep people poor. By keeping people poor, they sustain the African National Congress. And I'm so glad that ANC has this past weekend realized and confirmed in public they will be out of government in 2024. And that Africa and South Africa can prosper without the ANC. Let us save South Africa and kick out the ANC in 2024. Let us save South Africa. Ekestrots of Africa. Mari ANC in Africa for trap soos die koloniale heersers. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thanks very much, Honorable Member. The speaker is Honorable N.M. Katebe, Inkata Freedom Party, Pungan. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members. <clears throat> this year's theme for Africa Day, strengthening resilience in nutrition and food security on the African continent, is drawn from the African Union's theme for 2022. According to Statistics South Africa, the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic denied many South Africans their right to adequate food as enshrined in the South African constitution. And the population classified as severely food insecure was 17.3%, which is 10.1 million in South Africa in 2019. As South Africans, and in light of the extreme weather conditions that have of late at KwaZulu-Natali and the Eastern Cape and other parts of our beautiful country, we cannot have a discussion about food security without mentioning climate change. This is why as the IFP, even before the devastating floods, the green economy in all its multiple facets was and remain an apex priority. 
solutions for agriculture need to re reduce environmental risk, not contribute towards them. Where we govern, and in all fora where we have a voice, we will continue to push sustainable development as a, as a solution to ensure food and job security. Moreover, the IFP intends to reposition agriculture in South Africa to compete favorably and supply regionally and internationally. We want to remind government that as a country, we do not stand alone. As a member of the African Union, South Africa can draw on the expertise of, for example, the African Union Development Agency, NEPAD, which is mandated to provide knowledge-based advisory services and technical services assistance. We need to take full advantage of all opportunities available to us. As the IFP, we welcome African Union Development Agency programs, such as the Comprehensive Africa Agricultural Development Program, first implemented in 2011 and recommitted to in 2017. Thanks to programs such as these, South Africa can access evidence-based solutions and successful climate-smart agricultural practices that have been rolled out in other parts of the continent. We can also share our own success stories. Let us work together to ensure that as we rebuild and restore farms and other agricultural infrastructure, destroyed by the impact of climate change in regions like KwaZulu-Natal, that we build back better to avoid a repeat of the devastations. I thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Very much, Honorable Member. The next speaker is Honorable J.J. Lords. T.A., Honorable Lords. Thank you, Honorable Chair and Honorable MECs who participated. Also, the one minister we have here today from the Western Cape and honorable members. One thing that I did pick up from every speaker today is in some way or another, we are truly, truly blessed to live on this beautiful continent. Our continent is blessed with richness, firstly, in its people, the diversity in every possible way, and the tremendous potential we have bubbling just under the surface. Honorable Lucas, one of the parts I applauded when you said and you referred to that we need competent governments as the key to unlocking Africa's potential. My vraag is echter, uh, achtbare ondervoorzitter, hoe sal enige persoon wat kritisch na Zuid-Afrika kyk ons kan ernstig neem as ons eie regering so ongelooflik swak doen om na ons inwoners te kyk? Across Africa, we have liberation movements who did a tremendous job in fighting for independence. Unfortunately, across this beautiful continent, liberation movements have struggled to become effective governments. In South Africa, we started off brilliantly, as Honorable Lindy Nana stated, and that is 100% the fault of the ANC that today we are, in many cases, uh, sorry, in South Africa, we started off brilliantly, as Honorable Lindy Nana stated, and that is 100% true. But today, 100% because of a fault of the ANC, we have lost infrastructure, we have lost credibility, we have lost the moral authority as a government. 
Today, same as in every preceding year, we hear beautiful stories of the potential we have. But an ever-aging leadership in South Africa who lives in the past wants to talk about the future and only pay lip service to what we must do. They never really deliver on it. We have people that blame past and present. Honorable Dangor, his favorite phrase, 1652, and the other colleagues all blaming COVID. It's utter rubbish. We are in this situation. We are here today because this ANC government is terrible in delivering. They are incapable of taking policy and implementing it into looking after the citizens. When we hear year in and year out now that foreigners are stealing our jobs, there are people coming into the country that is taking away opportunities from South Africa. That is not true. We have a schooling system delivered by this ANC government that fails to equip our students to fight in the marketplace. When our colleagues in our northern, um, our northern brothers in Zimbabwe, when they, in an election, voted to vote out their liberation movement and voters were beaten up and an election stolen, this government applied silent democracy. And now look where they are. It is, it is not, colleagues, African leaders in general, they follow the same hymn sheet as the ANC. They speak about the past, still in the present, and they just throw away our future. A perfect example of this is Honorable Hankumonia, the ANC MEC from the Eastern Cape, who proudly stated they have the best beef, the best mutton, the best land, the best coat line. I have traveled extensively in the Eastern Cape, and I can support you. You have a province of abundance. But what you fail to mention is that you have one of the worst regional governments with all that resources. You fail to look after the citizens in your province. Honorable Mavimbela, the MEC from, the, from KZN, proudly proclaims that the current ANC leaders are bringing back the pride for our people. But Honorable Mavimbela, please help me understand how you bring back pride when people have to lie in hospital corridors to get treated, when people who want to work cannot find job opportunities because you ensured that our economy is tanking. Please tell me, how do you bring back pride when the ANC steal billions upon billions that has to go to the most vulnerable? This is after you allowed billions more to be stolen by your handlers, the Guptas. When I listen to you, how can your friends, family, and your children even have pride in you defending the indefensible? Colleagues from the ANC, you were on the right side of history, but you are not anymore. One thing is certain, if you don't change your ways, and I suspect that you will not, you will be consigned to history as the generation that should have, as the generation that could have, but the generation that didn't do anything to build on the hard-won freedoms of the past. We cannot continue this way. We have a beautiful country. We have a beautiful continent. We have weak, weak leadership that cannot tap into that massive potential. And as Dr. Ivan Mayer, the MEC in the Western Cape stated, come 2024, you will sit in the opposition benches and you will regret missing an opportunity. You will regret putting us back 
years upon years upon years. And your children and their children will be embarrassed to share your surname because you had the opportunity and you didn't take it. Let us celebrate this beautiful continent we live on. Let us celebrate the wonderful diversity and the wonderful people. But let us also be honest with one another. That is the leaders that's currently failing this continent. And that can and must change. I thank you. Thanks very much, honorable member. The next speaker is Honorable JJ, Honorable uh, AJ Nyambi, African National Congress. Baba. Thank you, Mama. How's Chairperson? Chairperson Tatemas. So, Deputy Chair Lucas, Deputy Minister, uh, Special Delegate, uh, fellow members, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to waste much time and uh, uh, spoil this important day. To all of you, happy Africa Day. One day I'll sponsor a debate where we'll try to deal with the legacy of apartheid and colonialism and the impact uh, it has had uh, in our beautiful country. Of course, I agree with you, Honorable Lund. We have got a beautiful continent and a beautiful country. But other things you said, the, the least I focus on them, the better for me. One day we'll have ample time to do justice to what we have raised today. The debate on Africa Day takes place at a time when the countries of the world and our country are emerging from a global pandemic that has disrupted the social and economic activities. The COVID-19 pandemic has slowed economic growth across the world and thus leading to massive job losses and loss of income for the many people of the world. As South Africa, who are also affected by the global slowdown of the economy. The triple challenges of unemployment, inequality, and poverty are worsened by the pandemic and global lockdown. And as such, Africa has also not been spared. We commemorate and celebrate Africa Day when our country has outlined a plan of recovery from economic downturn. We are referring here to the government economic reconstruction and recovery plan, the ERRP. The ERRP is aimed at stimulating equitable and inclusive growth. This plan is located within the broader agenda of the EU of contributing to the integration of the economy of our beautiful continent, Africa. 20 years ago, the representative of the people of Africa gathered in Abuja, Nigeria, and agreed on the treaty to establish the African Economic Community. This is commonly known as the Abuja Treaty of 1991. Since then, Honorable House Chair, the people of Africa and their leaders committed themselves to the practical realization of the establishment of the economic community. In line with the Abuja Treaty, the African Union agreed on the framework, roadmap, and the architecture for the fast tracking the establishment of the African continental free trade area and the action plan for boosting intra-African trade. It is common cause that the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, the AFCFTA, was of January 2021. The general 
objectives of free trade agreement, among other things, are to create a single market for goods, services, facilitated by movement position uh, of uh, persons in order to deepen the economic integration of African continent in accordance with the Pan-African vision of an integrated, prosperous, and peaceful Africa enshrined in Agenda 2063, Honorable Nana. To create a liberalized market for goods and services through successive rounds and contribute to the movement of capital and natural persons and facilitate investment building on the initiatives and developments in the state parties and regional economic communities, as well as to promote industrial development through diversification and regional value chain development, agricultural development, and food security. The significance of the Africa Free Trade Agreement cannot be overemphasized. The Africa Free Trade Agreement will go a long way in changing the economic structure of the continent, which was designed to the colonial interest of exporting new material for further processing and value addition in developed countries. This, in essence, means that Africa is exporting employment creation potential to the West. I don't know how you don't uh, comprehend something as simple as this, Honorable Lund. Through the implementation of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, uh, Africa at its people are moving forward to change the architecture of the economy of our continent. We need to aggressively move in the value addition, and that requires building internal African capacity led through manufacturing. The Trade Law Center reported that intra-Africa trade accounted for 15% of Africa's total trade in 2019, the same as for 2018. Over the last 10 years, intra-Africa trade has remained low. The highest was recorded in 2015 and 16, with 19% and 20% of total trade. The implementation of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement will depend on some enabling factors which will be in place. These include strong institution for regulation, the desired infrastructure and connectivity, the human capacity, as well as environment of stability. The success of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement should include inclusive growth, which will create space for participation of women and youth in the African economy, as well as participation of small micro enterprise. House Chairperson, contrary to the held view that lack of entrepreneurship is responsible for lack economic growth in the developing world, as explained by Honorable Lund. The reality is that developing countries, including Africa, has a significant number of entrepreneurs who survive by selling goods and services along our streets, such as barbershops, operators, street vendors, etc. What is missing, House Chairperson, is the support and formalization of these entrepreneurs to enable them to participate in the mainstream economy and thus benefit from the economic integration initiative such as the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. 
for our part in South Africa, we urge CEDA and CIPA, the National Empowerment Fund, and other development finance institutions to provide more support to SMMEs to enable them to take advantage of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, which provides for a market of over 1 billion people. The benefits of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement could also be maximized through aggressive implementation of localization policies, which are intended to ensure that the material inputs upstream in the manufacturing sector are derived from local supply. There are also issues that if not dealt with will negatively affect the full implementation of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Amongst these is the issue of migration. This is a thorny issue, House Chairperson, that requires level-headed approach. The starting point is that AU protocol on free movement of people emphasizes that movement of people, including goods, should be done within the legal framework of each member state. Member states are allowed to craft their own migration legal framework guided by their domestic interests, including security consideration. And when that is done, it will further enhance the integration of the continent. Migration laws should not be seen as actions against foreign guests. There's no country in the world that can survive without people visiting the country of visiting another country. The world is interconnected and interdependent, and so it's Africa, honorable Lord. South Africa has over centuries welcomed people from other parts of the world to our shores. We are a very hospitable people, and that explains why many people prefer to visit our beautiful country, as you correctly explain it. The truth is that there are many people in South Africa from all over the world and largely from our continent of Africa. And majority of them came in our country through proper uh, channels. There were processes. There were processes through our. They were processed through our ports of entry. Those who are in the country legally should so, salt. Those who are our, in our beautiful country illegally should sort their status with the Department of Home Affairs. The implementation of migration laws knows no color or nationality. Everyone, whether from Europe, Asia, America, and Africa, should ensure that when they come to South Africa or go anywhere in the world, they must ensure that they follow proper channels. Even South Africans, when they visit anywhere in the world, must follow proper channels at the port of entry of these countries and respect the laws of such countries. Any form of vigilantism against undocumented migrants has no place in our beautiful South Africa. No one must go around asking people about their nationality or documentation. That is the role of Department of Home Affairs and the police. Reporting crime is not the same as taking the law into one's hands. We condemn the officials in the Department of Home Affairs who are part of a syndicate that issues our identity documents fraudulently. These criminals deserve to be locked in prison for a very long time for they temper with our national security. Many South Africans have lost their status as these criminals exchange the citizenship of South Africa for other illegal uh, foreigners. The Minister of Home Affairs is on the right path of implementing 
the laws of our land and enjoy our undivided support. Africa can only develop in an environment me to quote uh, the son of the African soil, a true revolutionary, a visionary, uh, the late president Kwame Nkrumah, open quote, I'm not African because I was born in Africa, but because Africa was born in me, close quote. Thank you. Thank you, uh, House Chairperson. Thanks very much, Baba. Uh, honorable members, the next speaker is Honorable S.E. Lucas, Deputy Chair of NCOP. Mama. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Nguenya, House Chairperson Mama. First of all, love you, Mama. Let me express my appreciation to everyone that participated in the debate. It doesn't mean if we have different opinions, we don't agree that we can have common solutions. So first of all, let me say, I want us to celebrate what binds us together as Africans. And I want us to work hard to overcome what divides us. I want to repeat but Honorable Nyambi just said now, we are not Africans because we are born in Africa, but because Africa is born in us. I want to come to, I just, because I've got little time, let me just express few ideas. It is as if when we are speaking about failures of Africa, we forget that there was a scramble for Africa once, even if it was in former centuries, where Western European countries sat down and divided Africa between themselves because of the abundant resources that was there in Africa. They also made sure that they never took time out to develop capacity and capability in an African people because Africans remained a reserve for cheap labor. That is what happened. And if I come to Honorable Detroit, yes, you spoke about the issues that happened before 1961. You spoke about the time that South Africa became a republic. But from there, you tend to forget that there was an extended period that South Africans were suffering under apartheid rule. From 1902, there was colonialism of a special type where Africans and the British colonial rulers together suppressed and oppressed the South African people. Likewise, that happened in the rest of Africa. That those that decided that Africa, Africa's resources, not the African people, belong to them have decided to make sure that they oppress and suppress the capacity of Africa. If we begin to have short memories, we will begin to forget that opportunities was there. 
And when I'm saying this, I'm not defending any wrongdoing or anything. I'm stating the history where Africans are coming from. Today, we all acknowledge that Africa was a cradle of humankind, where first and foremost, there was civilization. But if we speak as those that support colonialism of a special type, we speak as if it never happened. Africa became a reserve for cheap labor, and it became a, a place from which the treasures of Africa is being exported to build the wealth of the rest of the world. I just, I really just want to bring perspective, that kind of perspective. We can do better. We agree. We are the first ones to agree that we can do better. But we must never speak as if there was no history that brought us where we are. Because if you really listen to Honorable Detroit, you will, you will think as if it jumped from Republic, becoming a republic to democracy without a time of apartheid and oppression that happened. And it happened. Let us just be honest about it. I don't want to, I just want really to express appreciation to everyone that made their contributions because this is a very necessary debate. Because Africa without economic growth will not be able to respond to the inequality in the poverty that is existing. Last but not least, I want to say to Honorable Nana, even if Stenaisen went to Ukraine, what difference did it make? Who benefited from it? What did Ukraine benefit from his visit? So, because if you go without a mandate to any place, you are just another tourist. And he went on a tour to Ukraine, achieving nothing, bringing nothing home, so when we speak, we must speak about things that will benefit us as a nation and as a country. Honorable House Chair, let me express my appreciation for this debate. It was really, in spite of the differences, in spite of the negative, sometimes you can speak about things that are not correct without being negative or being condescending. And that is what is sometimes happening from some of our opposition colleagues. They actually without saying it, telling us that there is nothing good that can come from a black government. But I can assure you, if we didn't start from a point of zero, it would have been very far. Because if you need nothing, Honorable Lont, you will never see the difference. Those that was in it, they will say, at least there was a difference in what was happening to me as a person. But I will still want to say, I appreciate all the inputs. It is actually very enriching to listen to people, negative or positive, because it makes you get a different perspective of who you are dealing with, what you are dealing with, and what you can do to extract the best of everything. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thanks very much, uh, Deputy Chair, uh, Honorable Members. I'd like to uh, that uh, conclude the debate. I wish to thank the Deputy Minister on Health for availing himself. Honorable members, I would like to invite our chairperson, uh, Honorable Baba Masondo, to proceed to the order of the day, our second order. Baba Masondo. No, thank you very, thank you very much. Okay. Uh... So, he, 
Thank you very much, Manguinha. Uh, 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 we will now, honorable delegates, uh, proceed to all the order of the day for the debate on budget vote 13, public works and infrastructure appropriation bill B7 2022. Um, uh, so I now call up, up, upon the honorable uh, uh, Patricia DeLille, Minister of Public Works and Infrastructure to open the, the debate. Uh, Honorable DeLille. Good afternoon, Honorable Chairperson. I must misondo to the Deputy Chairperson, Sylvia Lucas, uh, the Chairperson of the Select Committee, members of the um, NCOP. Good afternoon. Chairperson, this year, has seen us slowly emerge from the devastation of COVID-19 pandemic. And as the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure, we remained as determined as ever to align our work to the rebuilding of our economy and assist our most vulnerable communities. It will take a collective effort. And my call to action to the department on a daily basis is to work with urgency. We have a lot of work to do and the patience of our people is running out. Today we celebrate Africa Day and it's incumbent on us to work harder for our people by investing in infrastructure that bring us closer to our con uh, continent as we link to our neighbors with new ports of entry, bridges and roads and increasing trade and deepening our links with the continent. As we rebuild, sadly, four of our provinces have been devastated by the impact of climate change with severe, uh, severe flooding. In KZN and also in the Eastern Cape, uh, the department has been involved in work streams and interventions to assist in the reconstruction of KZN and the Eastern Cape to mitigate the effects of the disaster. We have provided a database of over 300 build professionals to COCTA to help assess and scope and cost design and implement critical reconstruction and building of damaged infrastructure. Our department resources will focus on the current 53 government-owned buildings in KZN and 12 government-owned buildings in the Eastern Cape to make them usable. Some repairs in the buildings in KZN are between 20% and 75% complete, while in the Eastern Cape, we are nearing to the 95% complete. The department has also identified 258 land parcels, while the KZN Department of Public Works and Human Settlement, MEC Sabia, have identified a further 25 land parcels which are being assessed for suitability by the Human Settlements Development Agency. On the rural bridges, to date in KZN, the need that we are looking at for 52 bridges. The construction of the first 18 bridges in KZN is to commence on the 1st of June. And the province has identified five additional sites, which is already being assessed and added to the list making 23 prioritized uh, bridges within, within KZN. 
In the Eastern Cape, so far, 18 breach sites have been identified and technical assessments has been done. So my department has also reassigned more capacity to KZN and, and the Eastern Cape Transport Department and also affected municipalities to help with the skill shortage. In terms of the rural bridges, we all know in Sona 2022, President Ramaphosa announced the construction of 96 bridges uh, in the 22-23 financial year. Uh, the number of bridges that will be constructed in terms of the 96, it's 18 bridges in, the, in Eastern Cape, 18 in KZN, 11 in Mpumalanga, 11 in Limpopo, 10 in the Free State and 10 in Northwest. Earlier this month, together with the Minister of Defence and Military Veterans and MEC Sabia, we handed over three of the bridges to the communities in deep rural KZN. If I can speak about the infrastructure investment plan that is central to the economic reconstruction and recovery plan of government, aimed to creating jobs and has started bringing the construction industry to, back to life. Infrastructure South Africa, ISA, was also established following approval from Cabinet in 2020. And they have been hard at work to drive the infrastructure investment plan through assisting with project blockages, unlocking funding to ensure and monitoring and reporting on the implementation of the priority strategic infrastructure projects. I will just briefly uh, give the NCOP, uh, Honorable Chairperson, through you, uh, some of the projects that we have been working on. The transport sector has gazetted projects um, and it's well underway with five of them completed, five of them in construction, and another five of them are in the procurement process. Just some of the completed transport uh, projects is in Vinberg, in the Free State, in Polokwane, the East Easering Range, um, in uh, the Free State, Fentersdorp to Kroenstadt, and in KwaZulu-Natal, Matunzi Tor Plaza to Impangeli. Then there are some of the, con uh, the transport uh, uh, projects that are in construction, and that's the Messina Ring Road in Lampopo, the N3 in KwaZulu-Natal, and the N3 Ashburton uh, Interchange, also in KZN. Just briefly on the Human Settlements Programs, the sector is making a good progress with three projects completed, two in construction and two projects in procurement while the, while the rest are in the planning stage. So just on human settlements in uh, KwaZulu-Natal is the Greater Kenobia, uh, and then also phase two of 12,000 residential units uh, in Vista Park in the Free State Bulk Services, uh, to uh, Vista Park number two, and then also um, bulk services installation to Vista Park phase three, and the upgrades to Fuyinaghang Road is also in progress. In Gauteng, the Lutheran uh, housing project, 3,412 housing units have been completed. Malibongwe Ridge Road in Gauteng has been completed. The N2 nodal development in the Eastern Cape, 
phase two, the catalytic land development preparation is 53% done. And phase three of the implementation is at 14% done. Then also in Gauteng, we've got Green Creek with um, 3,623 work opportunities. And to date, 421 units complete and about 360 has already been handed over. Then we also have the Moikloff Mega Residential City in Gauteng that has created so far over 1,335. As we all know, we're also monitoring the Lesotho Highlands Water Project between Gauteng and, and Lesotho. Lesotho. Advanced work is under construction and, and the design is complete and it's now we are in the process of finalizing the loan agreements. The small harbors development on the 13 gazetted small harbors in the Western Cape, uh, the 501 million project of repair and maintenance program to 13 proclaimed harbors in the Western Cape has been completed. And that includes uh, removal of sunken vessels, repair slipways, shore crane replaces security, civil and electrical infrastructure upgrade. The project also include, included upgrades to the Saldana slipway, which uh, uh, the capacity is now being increased from 600 tons to 1,200 tons. And this will also service the surrounding small harbors on the West Coast. And here we have created just over 952 jobs and we made sure that 500 of the jobs has been allocated to young people. We have also empowered 142 SMMEs to the value of over 106, uh, 16 million, and of which 73 of those companies were triple B E1 compliant. Briefly on the National Infrastructure Plan, uh, since last year's budget, uh, we have completed uh, and the approval and gazetting of the National Infrastructure Plan 2015. Uh, this plan is a long-term infrastructure development across the country, which aims to ensure that there's the necessary long-term view regarding infrastructure to drive economic and social transformation to achieve the goals of the NDP. And we have started uh, to implement the first three years of the National Infrastructure Plan 2015. So and, um, the NIP 2050 spells out government's intentions to build, manage, and maintain infrastructure to address um, inequality and unemployment. If I can briefly turn to the budget main vote chairperson um, in terms of the appropriation bill, Public works have been allocated 8.5 billion. 7.4 billion of this budget is allocated to transfers and subsidies for our entities and also EPWP. And of the 7.4 billion, 4.5 billion is allocated to the PMTE. And the balance is just allocated to compensation of employees and goods and services. Uh, just a quick rundown of the 23 billion.
Honourable Chairperson, just a quick rundown of the 23.5 billion rent in the property management trading entity, of which 19 billion come from user departments. Uh, the breakdown of that is that the Eastern Cape will get 2.2 billion, the Free State 871 million, Gauteng 11.2 billion, KwaZulu Natal 2.2 billion, Limpopo 896.8 million. Um, Pumalanga 992 million, and then also the Northwest 1 billion, and Northern Cape 73.1 million, and the Western Cape 3.1 billion. Um, and, and, and all the information of what we are going to, to spend on projects, I will come to later. Just briefly on the land reform progress. Um, a chairperson, one of the key drivers towards addressing the spatial injustices, socioeconomic imbalances in our country, continue to be confronted. Uh, our progress on land restitution since 2019, we've released 214 parcels of land, uh, about 30,000 um, hectares of land for restitution, and we have exceeded our target of 10,000 hectares. The progress on, on land redistribution. Um, since May 2019, we have released 25,000 hectares uh, and 125 parcels to human settlements for redistribution. No, no. And then we also, um, we've identified another 50 parcels of land that we can release for, for the agricultural program. Human settlements, uh, since 2019, we've released 73 parcels of land, just over 460. And we've also released about, uh, for socioeconomic purposes, uh, in support of infrastructure development, we have released 11 parcels of land, about 15 hectares. So for the new financial year, the, the department plans to release 7,100 hectares for human settlements, another 180 hectares for socioeconomic purposes, and 1,445 hectares under the land reform for restitution and also land tenure. So our total that we're planning for this year is about 162 hectares. Um, and just a quick breakdown of some of the hectares. Um, in KZN, 346 hectares, uh, another 15,900 in Pumalanga, 128,000 hectares in the Northern Cape, and 10,200 hectares in Limpopo. Under the program of human settlements, we plan to release 7,100 hectares. The breakdown per province will be 502 hectares for Eastern Cape, uh, 5,160 for KZN, and then for the Northern Cape, 0.6 hectares and 50 hectares in, in Limpopo, and another 1,144 hectares in the Western Cape, 21 hectares in Pumalanga, and 258 hectares in the, uh, the Free State. So, it must be noted that the above planned release land are based on what is requested from provinces. In a specific province, 
and how far the land release program is that will enable us to release the land. Just on the construction project management in our department, last year we uh, uh, approximately 127 infrastructure projects were completed and 107 sites handed over uh, to contractors. Uh, and just a few of some of the projects have been uh, um, concluded and, and finished in various provinces. Um, we start with the Eastern Cape, uh, the warmer police com complex has been uh, completed in the Nelson, Nelson Mandela Bay and Boxburg Prison uh, in, in Gauteng province, uh, Mount Aleph Police Station in, in the Eastern Cape province, uh, the Simonstown Naval Base Maritime Reaction Squadron in Western Cape and in Laboa the South African Police Station. Then just briefly uh, on EPWP, we have achieved our targets for the previous financial year. And then we are also working on a program chairperson together with social development to release buildings for gender-based violence and, and femicide. Last year, we released 12 buildings, six in Western Cape and six in the Gauteng province. And now this year, we have identified 83 properties of which social de development have selected 47. Um, but we're also calling on the provinces and the municipalities to help us to identify more um, houses for shelters for GBV. Also with GBV chairperson, last year we rolled out a number of billboards at police stations all over the country in Gauteng, Western Cape and Pumalanga, KZN in the Northern Cape, where we in, in, installed the billboards at police stations with the anti-gender-based violence uh, message. The regional offices of the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure also have got a number of projects, and I will just mention some of them to illustrate to the various provinces. Um, in the Western Cape, we have got a project, um, uh, the total for the Western Cape that is being allocated to 63.3 million, and this includes the refurbishment of the Cape Town Pero Forensic Laboratory. And in Pumalanga region, we there's allocation for the Standerton Labor Center with a budget of 34.7 million. In the Northern Cape and Kimberley region, the department is busy with the Postmasburg Loslata Combat Training Center to the value of 45 million. And another one in the Northern Cape is uh, in a small rural town of Yan Kemdo. Um, and another project is also in the Northern Cape the Kaimus, the Kairip local in the Kairip local municipality. In the Eastern Cape, a total of 10 construction projects were completed last year. Um, and also currently in construction um, the, is the Forest Hill military base, the health center construction, the Henke South African Police Services construction, uh, the Grahamstown SAPS headquarters, the Burgersdorf Prison Construction, and in DPWI in Johannesburg, we also have got the 85 Anderson Street where we are going to accommodate 
the Department of Rural Development and Land Reform. And in Johannesburg, also there is the Rainfontein military base that we need to complete. And as, an, as you conclude, uh, Minister. <laughs> yeah, I was giving, Chairperson Ken, I will conclude. Can I just say to the members that the details of all the provinces is available on the request? And I will um, conclude with that by providing them uh, that information. Our work continues in earnest and we are committed to bringing more urgency so that our communities can feel the impact of, of infrastructure, delivery and public works. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Minister. Uh, the next speaker is going to be Honorable M.K. Muimang. Um, so Muimang will, will follow. Honorable Muimang. Thank you. Thank you, National Chairperson. Uh, Honorable Masondo. Uh, uh, greetings to my colleagues and uh, special delegates. Uh, let me rise on behalf of the African National Congress to... Uh, express uh, my gratitude uh, for the platform given to take part in the debate of vote 13. And indeed, this uh, budget uh, debate takes place at a very critical yes, uh, time in the development of our country. As uh, low economic growth coupled with the effects of COVID-19 is continuing to have a negative impact in terms of uh, uh, our hardships, and uh, particularly in many provinces. Indeed, this uh, uh, reality was further worsened by the river, by the recent devastating floods that we have uh, seen in uh, uh, many parts of our province, of our provinces, but particularly KZN, Eastern Cape, and also Northwest. Uh, over the past weekend, uh, National Chair, KZN has again received uh, torrential rains, which has uh, further caused uh, more destruction of homes and infrastructure. But of course, we are appreciative of the uh, leadership provided by the, by the minister and the, and the deputy minister through positive interventions uh, that was made uh, in partnership with the province to sort of mitigate uh, the devastating nature of the floods. Honorable uh, Chair, what we have uh, seen uh, and also appreciate from the leadership by the, by the, uh, the department was also to avail uh, professional expertise both in the built environment sphere which is integrated with the, the work of the regional and local municipalities to assist uh, with the assessment, to assist with the scope, to assist with the costing, design and implementation of the reconstructing of critical infrastructure in relation to bridges, roads, storm, water pipes, and other infrastructure as indicated by the, by the Honorable Minister. While we applaud the intervention of the ANC-led government, it is important that the Department of the Sphere of Government are able to restore the infrastructure 
in the shortest as possible uh, away uh, with a view to ensure that our communities are also uh, resettled uh, in, in environments that are not uh, making them vulnerable to further risk in future. Our heartfelt condolences to the families who have lost members of their families due to these devastating floods. Honorable Chair, it is critical that the government's coordinated efforts at the redevelopment of the infrastructure must ensure that the normalization of economic activity takes place, more so in these affected areas. It is equally uh, significant to bear in mind that the economies of the different inland provinces are inextricably linked to uh, that of uh, KwaZulu-Natal. The Devon Port Road and Rail provides for the delivery of goods and freight uh, imported from the inland market and also ensure that uh, these uh, exports from various countries also reach the inland market. Therefore, the economic impact of what is happening in Kwanul Natal on other provinces is indeed real, the National Chair. It is also critical, National Chair, to appreciate the fact that the, that the uh, entities of the department, as we have noted uh, during the engagement with the, with the department, are facing uh, a number of challenges. But amongst them is the level of vacancies in the department which negatively impacts on the department's ability to effectively deliver on its programs. We are looking forward to have stability in the DG's office. In this, this must be dealt with in this financial year with the department to ensure that capable and skilled people are employed to fill vacancies and effect departments program with deliverable outputs and outcomes. However, it is clear that the department under the current leadership is making steady progress towards attempting to meet strategic objectives and mandate. Honorable Chair, the department is mandated to be the custodian of the government's involved property. We therefore appreciate the update that the minister has given in today's debate around the work of the uh, in the uh, property sector. It is also mandated to ensure that it transforms the construction and the property sector, uh, given the importance and uh, significance of transformation in the property sector. But also more than that, uh, the department is expected to mitigate the level of uh, high unemployment rate through coordinating the expanded public works program which is a very critical program to create employment for those hailing from communities in different provinces, which will not otherwise be able to find employment. Therefore, Honorable Chair, the department is mandated to support service delivery in a proactive and efficient manner. It must also build state capacity in the built environment profession, the CBE and also the CIDB, Implementing the mandate of government, 
the work of the department contributes positively to the creation of the capable and ethical developmental state. Following the operationalization of the uh, PMT, the department's mandate also includes the portfolio management and optimization of all government property as alluded to by the minister. This forms a critical part of the creating value from the property portfolio of government. The department has also created infrastructure South Africa as indicated by the minister to deliver on strategic infrastructure projects, which forms a critical part of the economic reconstruction and recovery plan. National chair for this financial year, and in order to effect its mandate and improve on the delivery of this program, the department has developed a focus plan to improve 10 areas of business development, which will enable the department to deliver on its mandate. Among these 10 areas, chair, uh, which is aligned with the annual performance plan of the department and is in line with the government's medium-term strategic framework, is the change management program to ensure that the culture of service delivery of the department is streamlined. To in preparation to ensure that the department is able to achieve its mandate and implement its programs, the department has adopted a service delivery improvement program which is going to be based on improved service standards and charters with the beneficiaries that is characterized by customer responsiveness and orientation through the value chain of Batotele. Thirdly, the business process management program is designed to deal with the coordination of property management and infrastructure delivery, which will be based on an infrastructure delivery management systems and the sustainable infrastructure development system methodology. The department, uh, fourthly, as also as part of its program, will be implementing the enterprise resource planning to fast track the business process management program by ensuring it moves away from manual systems to appropriate and relevant IT system, particularly with regard to asset management. This will also enable a review of the macro business and delivery model of the department and associated revision of the structural model of the department. These programs will also be extended to the regional offices and head office models and associated governance and accountability arrangements will be cascaded down. Also, it is important that we note that the department, because it has been battling against state capture and corruption, and as part of furthering this, as part of containing this, it will be establishing ethics and compliance, infrastructure and consequence management unit to guide and enforce expected standards of conduct. The improvement of business process and automation will enable the department to radically improve contract management and monitoring capability to mitigate contract delivery rest throughout the department. Indeed, National Share, the implementation of an organization-wide skills assessment to determine current skill set and to ensure capacitation of the current skill set and acquire further skills when filling vacancies, as this will enable more efficient service delivery from the department. This will be done in partnership with the National School of Government. The aim of these 10 areas of improvement is to ensure that the department is able to initiate, deliver its projects. But also to, in order for the entities that report to the department to function optimally, 
and deliver on their respective mandates, it is critical that all of them have functional and skilled boss to effect proper corporate governance. Moreover, to ensure financial control and financial accountability, it is imperative that none of these entities have vacancies in Siena management. These entities have an important role to play in the built environment sector in all provinces, as aparte special planning has not as yet been reversed. Transformation must occur in special planning, so therefore new human settlement will occur in all provinces in the country, and this settlement needs to be integrated developments, and the uh, advice from the department will come in handy. Also, the department will be uh, required to fast track the Public Works Act so that we are able to ensure that uh, the legislation that plays a critical role in coordination of major infrastructure projects and employment projects has a framework. This act must define the closer working relationship between three spheres of government. National Chair, also the issue of poverty and, and unemployment requires focus programs such as EPWP program of the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure, as well as the Mass Employment Stimulus Package of the Presidency. This uh, is important so that uh, we are able to, to monitor the ability of the department to, to, department to play its critical role in the economic reconstruction and recovery plan. The idea is to ensure that the country is successful in reversing the devastating nature of the terrible challenges of poverty, inequality, and unemployment through inclusive economic development and also the economic reconstruction and recovery plan. This plan is intended to reverse the effects of slow growth and economic impact of COVID-19 pandemic. It is largely driven by the infrastructure development to ensure inclusive economic growth and job creation. The Department of Public Works and Infrastructure also has created infrastructure essay for the implementation of strategic infrastructure projects as alluded to by the minister. And therefore, we'll be paying much more attention in terms of ensuring that as we, as the Wellesley program unfolds, and also the small Harbour development program uh, unfolds, uh, job creation indeed takes place. In conclusion, Chair, there is much work to be done and much to be achieved in terms of the programs of the department. It is important that the department and its entities are capacitated to embark on the programs and that there are deliverable outcomes in all provinces and municipalities. The select committee will engage in rigorous oversight to ensure that the budgets for their programs achieved value for the money allocated, much more needs to be achieved with less financial resources. The ANC supports the policy vote 13 of the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure. Thank you, Chair. Sorry about that, uh, Honourable Tim. Thank you, Honourable Chairperson, Honourable Minister, Honourable Members, fellow South Africans. 
Today, we debate the budget of the largest landlord in South Africa. In feudal times, a lord was a noble who held land. A vassal was a person who was granted possession of the land by the lord. And the land was known as a fief. In exchange for the use of the fief and protection by the lord, the vassal would provide some sort of service to the lord. This fiefdom was granted to the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure on the basis that this department would do the inverse of the definition above. The department's job, in simple terms, is to look after and develop state property which is entrusted to it. Well, dear members, that is the theory. The reality is akin to the cook with too many pots on the stove. Add to that the general hustle and bustle of a kitchen, orders arriving, orders going out, the cat stealing the mince, and the staff generally slacking or hiding away. It is inevitable that something will spoil or be burnt. So what does the Department of Works and Infrastructure deal with? The department is supposed to provide strategic leadership to the South African construction and property industries, ensure compliance and management of state-owned and leased in, leased in immovable assets, provide strategic direction on the integration of public works priorities and contribute to job creation and poverty alleviation through public works programs. Running through all of this is the concept of transformation, an idea that justifies the replacement of qualified personnel with cadres and pals. If you, if you survey the landscape of the state-owned property in South Africa, the department has transformed in one sense. They've transformed once-functioning properties into dilapidated wrecks. Not exactly what was intended. A perfect example is the parliamentary precinct. For those of us who have served here for a while, this place is always a beacon of pride. I often commented to visitors that this is what the whole of South Africa should look like. If only we got our priorities right. If only we were obsessive about making sure that we employed qualified people. If only we stopped using triple B double E as an excuse for rent seeking. All of that pride literally went up in smoke as we started this year. It became painfully evident that this department had failed in its duties and had failed to follow simple recommendations to secure the infrastructure. And yet the minister has taken no action against any officials for this negligence. It can only be a patronage deal with her party and the governing party that keeps her cabinet seat. Other ministers have been fired for less. All members in this house today have conducted oversight at police stations, schools, hospitals, or any other government building, and are reflected on the decay of that building, those buildings. It is nothing new. The minister has even said that it is a mess. But instead of addressing those issues, the department, the department busies itself with the pursuing of the lofty ideals of infrastructure South Africa to build shiny, new, grandiose projects, to bolster the image of the government, while the basic infrastructure of our country collapses. The priority minister should be to focus all the resources and the human capital that the department has it as its disposal to renovate existing infrastructure and make it functional again. That will, this will also allow the department to leverage its assets and bring in much needed revenue from the private sector. Re recent reports reveal that the department has over 2,000 properties that are not in use, basically abandoned. If these properties were fixed up, they could be leased to the private sector and create millions, if not billions, of rands in revenue 
for the department to reinvest in further renovation and maintenance. It is within the power of the department to create this virtuous circle. Instead, these properties are currently illegally occupied by tenants involved in various criminal or antisocial activities that make neighbors living next to these properties despair. To add insult to injury, the department does not spend all the funds allocated to it, averaging between 82 to 93% over the last five years. And then we have the perennial and frankly ludicrous situation of client departments not having budget to fix minor issues. If officers need light bulbs or a repaint, public works must do the work. And only after a veritable mountain of paperwork has been completed and waking, waiting months for a contractor to be, to be appointed. Instead, the bulk of the property management trading entity budget should be divided up amongst the client departments and the PMTE should play an advisory role when required. But then the Council for the Built Environment must start spending its budget properly and urgently skill up professionals in this space to play an advisory role and also potentially be engaged in contract work. The CBE woefully underspends in this area, and it is no wonder that a flood of resignations are the result. The only area where spending is at an optimum level is pay to pay staff to run this entity on a suboptimal level. In closing, we should take note of the advice of Peter F. Drucker, the father of modern management. The pillars of Drucker's theories of management are decentralization, prioritization of knowledge work, management by objectives, and smart goals. Decentralization means that managers should empower client departments by delegating functions that they cannot handle. Knowledge work means utilizing the best there are, judged by competence, not affiliation. Management by objective involves working together to set common goals, identify areas of expertise, and define measurable expected results. The SMART method means that those goals need to be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-specific, and recorded. Minister, the public perception, a small portion of which are your voters, is not good at all. The principles above must be implemented urgently. If you want to satisfy the people of South Africa that you are doing a competent job and worthy of their trust. If you cannot do so, be prepared to vacate your seat in 2024 when the DA takes over and gets things done. I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Tim. We'll now move on to Honorable Mama Bulo. Mama Bulo. Thank you very much, uh, National uh, <clears throat> Chair of the NCOP. Um, let me take this opportunity and Chair, I hope you'll allow me uh, not to show uh, my face because my network is not well and uh, that could affect um, the quality of my inputs. I need uh, your pardon not to show my, my face uh, because of network problems. Um, <clears throat> hoping that I have your permission 
Honorable Chair. Yes, uh, please me, proceed. You are audible. Let's see how far we can go. Let me also greet uh, the Honorable Deputy Chair, the President of Salga, our Honorable Minister, um, and of course, the uh, all the ministers, deputy ministers, um, and all the committee chairpersons, uh, all MECs, and um, all honorable members, and of course, the guests to this very important um, debate. I just want to start by saying that on behalf of uh, Kauteng province, we fully support the budget vote and we are firmly behind um, the budget as presented by the Honorable Minister and will appeal to the House um, to support the budget. And we, I just want, before I go to the issues that we would like to raise as part of our support uh, to the budget, just say to honorable members and yourself, the chair that have had the honor and privilege of acting MEC to deliver um, <clears throat> the budget speech, in our, budget speech in our province on behalf of uh, honorable uh, MEC Motara, who is on leave, and uh, we wishing her very well. It's just unfortunate uh, that uh, I'm speaking before a member uh, who has just uh, trivialized a very important issue of um, infrastructure development and infrastructure delivery. And I listened to him very carefully, uh, trying to ridicule the strategic work that government is doing to consolidate its delivery of infrastructure by simply trivializing um, that work that is consolidated in the Department of Public Works led by uh, also Comrade uh, Sputaram Hopa who's working with the minister. I think in the entire world, this is the first person that I've had the opportunity to listen to trivializing the importance of infrastructure. And honorable chair and members, I will not want to um, uh, respond much because I think uh, the, the Honorable Member and his party have clearly demonstrated that they've got no grasp of how the whole world appreciates the strategic importance of infrastructure, not only to um, provide stimulus packages to economic growth in the short term or in the, in the short run, but also to crowd in investments in the long run. I think that is a well-established principle and I'll expect every member in infrastructure space to extol and appreciate the role that infrastructure development plays. For us in Gauteng, honorable chair and honorable members, we want to present to you um, our strategic intervention in the CBD of the city of Johannesburg, which is a multi-billion uh, project of Copanon Precinct. I want to say that uh, the Copanon Precinct is a triple P um, uh, project, uh, which has reached a critical stage and where we are now is that um, we will be finalizing and appointing the consortium to build, to rehabilitate, and of course, to 
improve the current seat of the provincial government in the CBD of the city of Johannesburg. This is very important to us because, as you know, Honorable Chair, and I think you can speak quite eloquently on this issue, is that with the history of mining in Gauteng province in the city of Johannesburg, when they finally left for Santin, uh, for Rosebank, and for um, the areas of uh, the eastern side of Jobek, the city of Jobek's interior gradually deteriorated. And we saw big corporations leaving the CBD, and government, together with the city of Jobek, are the only key players that are still remaining in the city of Jobek. And Kopanum Precinct is going to revitalize and revamp uh, the city uh, of Johannesburg in the CBD, which is a face of the world, I mean, of South Africa in the global world, particularly in the commercial space. So we are quite confident that, um, um, re, you know, resuscitating, improving, uh, rehabilitating the CBD of the city of Johannesburg is going to be a major injection of uh, money into the economy but it will revitalize and preserve and protect a very important intervention, the city of Johannesburg. We also just want to put forward that um, our expanded public works program is doing very well. And uh, we will be convening an important meeting with the, the municipalities in the, in the province. We are deeply concerned, Chair, that uh, the big metros are not reporting as they are supposed to on the targets and the achievements with respect to the expanded public works program, which is very critical to create jobs and make sure that we improve the living conditions of the people. I'd like to assure honorable members that um, the province and of course our Department of Infrastructure Development is quite focused on making sure that we improve occupational health and safety of all our facilities, and most importantly, um, the hospitals. And to this extent, we are providing good support um, to the Department of Health in the province, but also we welcome the relationship we have with uh, the National Department of Health, which uh, the Minister of Health has taken a lead in ensuring that we reopen um, some parts of the um, Charlotte Mateke uh, Hospital and on that, we are very much pleased with the decision that we have made as the provincial government to work with national government. We are also on track, chair and members, in providing support to the Department of Education to make sure that we roll out the smart schools, which are the pride of the province, in which we are making sure that we leverage smart technologies to support learning and teaching. And to that extent, um, we are very much satisfied with the quality of work to support and roll out uh, smart classrooms that we believe uh, constitute the core of the future of our education system uh, in the province. We also continue to provide support in rolling out infrastructure to other departments in the province. And um, we are quite satisfied with the work that we are doing as the uh, almost, um, you know, the landlord of the provincial government providing strategic infrastructure to support service delivery. I just want to conclude by 
assuring the members that um, there have been challenges in the province relating to unethical conduct. We are dealing with issues of corruption, working with the SIU, and to this extent, Honorable Chair and members, I'd like to assure you that the provincial government is hands-on and is doing an excellent job to deal with matters of corruption, unethical conduct, malfeasance, and maladministration. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Mamabulo. We now proceed to Honorable P. Matigizela. Honorable Matigizela. Honorable Matigizela. Uh, now that Honorable Matigizela is not there, we'll proceed to Honorable Apleni. Honorable Apleni. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, uh, uh, the EFF rejects the budget rotating on public works and infrastructure. Still listens over against every month 
for first home. Amongst these leased properties are police stations and other strategic key points for the state. All of these are happening under this department. Last year, the minister reported that there were about 1,300 government properties that had been hijacked. She has not done anything to date to reclaim those properties and to ensure that they are redistributed back to those who need them. Lastly, the department is the custodian of expropriation legislation in this country. Even though the expropriation is not passed into law yet, and despite it, uh, its many weaknesses, there is nothing stopping the department from expropriating land and building today, even at a price. There are literally thousands of derisive uh, buildings across the country that could be expropriated and accommodation and There seems to be a bit of a problem there. Uh, Honorable Plenty, uh, maybe what we should do is to get hold of your speech and uh, make it available to the participants. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, just a, a, a comment, uh, Honorable Members, that we, we I've noted that uh, uh, of course, the Honorable Mamabulo did not use his picture, which is which is fine. But instead, uh, I think he's used the, the picture of Charlotte Makaeke. Charlotte Makaeke, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, I'll really uh, be asking you, Honorable Members that uh, uh, 
we we really try to advise uh, our own uh, uh, participants, politically speaking, political party members, uh, to to avoid doing what 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 happened. Um, uh, so please, please, uh, presiding officers, uh, assist to the extent that you can, so that we we limit what has just uh, happened. So, Honorable Mamabulo, not showing your picture is fine, but showing uh, Mama McClake's uh, uh, photograph uh, 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 exposes us to other practices which may be, 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 be negative. So, um, we're asking uh, uh, all presiding officer, officers to pay attention uh, to, to this matter. So, we'll proceed. Uh, to Honorable uh, Boshoff. Honorable Boshoff. Honorable Chair, this is Honorable Labeskagni. Okay. I was just informed that her network um, um, totally ceased. They have load shedding two hours ahead of schedule. The tower is off. With your permission, can I do her speech? Yeah, please, please proceed, Honorable uh, Labeskagni. Thank you very much. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members, and Honorable Minister, today we will debate the Public Works and Infrastructure Budget Policy vote, and I would like to concentrate on the Expanded Public Works Program, or as we know it, the EPWP. The EPWP is currently on its fourth phase, with the first phase being launched on 18 May 2004. Despite this program, which has been referred to as the flagship program of the governing party, geared towards providing a measure of respite for the unemployed and at the same time providing training and the developing of skills. In spite of this program, skills shortages remain predominant in our country. Together with these shortages, <coughs> unemployment is still increasing at a high rate and the country is <coughs> stricken with poverty. Honorable Minister, the program has not had the desired effect that the governing party was relying on. In interaction with these workers during some of my oversight, some of the Honorable Boss's oversight, this is have indicated that they are faced with many challenges of which the largest is the low wages and the fact that employment is of a temporary nature, which does address or alleviate their positions in, which does not address or alleviate their positions in the long term. They also shared with her that they would like to see more relevant training the offering of bursaries to improve the educational levels, to be provided with proper communication channels, and to see more monitoring and evaluation as they are invariably placed in the field with no guidance, which impacts discipline amongst many of the workers. The governing party must, if they want to see any improvement within this program, established a survey amongst all the EPW workers to determine what the challenges are that they encounter. This program is after all financed with taxpayers' money and not through ANC funding 
and the taxpayer would like to see whether their hard-earned tax payments are being beneficial in assisting the unemployed. Another worrisome aspect is that in many cases, these workers are being exploited to the benefit of the governing parties that are invariably appointed by ANC ward councillors who request to see their membership cards before any appointment might take place. This is a practice that must be stopped as the money generated for these workers is not ANC money, but taxpayers' money, and everyone should benefit equally. During the run-up to the 2021 local elections, we again witnessed how some ward councils were, without shame, rewarding loyalists to a certain party with jobs. They were threatened with a message of, vote for us or remain in poverty. Honourable Chair, what has happened to the EPWP Code of Good Practice Framework? Why is this not used when determining who should be appointed in a temporary position on a project in a certain ward or on a project on both a national and provincial level? Is it not time that a policy review be initiated to ensure that cadre deployment and the manipulation of opportunities are not misused? The goal of the EPWP is to ultimately provide equal opportunities for all who find themselves in the unfortunate position of being unemployed. Another huge point of contention is that this program should work on a rotational basis, whereby the majority of unemployed are given the opportunity to have, even for a short period, a form of income and to furthermore ensure work experience is created. However, participants of this program remain the same with practically every project. Is there no mechanism in place whereby reports are to be submitted to ensure that policy regulations are followed? It is quite clear that this program has no consequence management in place and therefore it is used to benefit only those that can produce a green card. Honourable Minister, I call upon you to engage on this matter to ensure your department has policy programs in place that will see a program equally available to all citizens of South Africa, which will enable a temporary solution to the unemployed to also share in the financial gains this program has to offer. I thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Levels Kachner. We'll proceed to Honorable Mushodi. Honorable Mushodi. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Minister, Honorable Deputy Minister, Honorable Members. The budget policy vote of the Department of Public Works Infrastructure this year highlights the necessity for continued improvement of performance of programs and projects. It is necessitated the improvement in coordination between different spheres of government to ensure optimization of budget and uh, and outcomes of programs. This necessity for the department to operate at a much higher level is largely due to the economic challenge which faced the country of low economic growth, which was made worse by the effect by the effect of COVID-19 pandemic. Honorable Chairperson, this had increased poverty and unemployment in the country. In response to the in response to the current economic situation, government has introduced the economic 
reconstruction and recovery plan. The plan is based on the thriving inclusive economic growth through infrastructure development. Moreover, the plan seeks to intensify job creation, including labor intensive jobs. The Department of Public Works Infrastructure has a critical role to play both in the delivery of strategic infrastructure projects and job creation. Honorable members, in the summer of 2022, the state president focused on job creation, infrastructure development, and maintenance of government immovable assets. The government with its social partner at Netlag are finalizing plan to grow the economy and job creation. This is part of the drive by the ANC government to struggle against the triple challenge in South Africa of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. Honorable Chairperson, within the economic reconstruction and recovery plan, there are a number of plans and projects which are for the focus of the Department of Public Works Infrastructure as announced in the SONA of 2022. Honorable members, the government has embarked on measures to enable the development and growth of business, to enable job creation alongside the expanded public works program and social protection. Through the infrastructure fund with a 100 billion allocation from the physicals over a 10 years period requires state entity to engage in infrastructure project with an investment value of 96 billion in student housing, social housing, telecommunication, water and sanitation and transport. Honorable members, this requires PMTE to optimize government property portfolio and the composition of the immovable property asset register. This means that the department must begin its maintenance program on government building and commence the development for student housing. This should also enable the development of small and medium enterprise to enable maintenance work in electrical, painting, plumbing, as well as the construction work. Honorable Chairperson, it, 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 is anti, it is anticipated that over the next three years, the Rural Roads Program will utilize labor-intensive method to construct or upgrade six 685 kilometers on rural roads. This will bring employment to rural areas and will be funded through the extended public works program. The department has already embarked upon a program to ensure youth internship with and the intent to have a job track record and seek permanent employment as most employees are not employing youth graduate without work experience. Honorable Chairperson, the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure participating in this project will certainly make a fundamental contribution to inclusive economic development and job creation. This program do make a substantive contribution to the transformation of the country. Honorable Chairperson, Infrastructure SA was created in the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure to implement strategic infrastructure project. The department has already engaged with the Development Bank 
of Southern Africa and National Treasury on the financing of the project, an agreement has been signed on the role of the parties. Honorable Chair, the department has been assigned five strategic integrated projects, which are the small harbors development nationally, the building of rural bridge, which is which is known as the Willisi Way program, PV and water saving on government building program, comprehensive urban management program, and the Salcop present. Honorable Chairperson, these are critical infrastructure programs assigned to the department and have a critical role to play in economic development and job creation. The Small Harvest Program has commenced and is a national program which benefits communities in all provinces along the coast. This project requires to be in conjunction with issuing of fishing permit by Department of Forestry, Fishing and the Environment of Small Fishermen these in coastal communities. Honorable Chairperson, the small harbor development in the country would benefit community which depend on the ocean economy for a living. This will engage that community located around small harbor are able to make living and not remain in perpetual poverty. Honorable Chairperson, in addition, this project has to date in terms of the repair and maintenance program has created a total of 894 jobs and empowerment local SMMEs to the value of over 114 billion. The development of new fishing harbor in Eastern Cape, KZN and Northern Cape is progressing slowly and, requ and requires attention as this as this open up economy opportunity for local communities which are based around the small harbors. Honorable Chairperson, the Welisi Way program has developed a total of 23 rural bridges which have been completed from 2019 to date. Accumulative, accumulatively, 420 work opportunity has been created during this period. This will certainly improve the life of the people in the rural communities. This infrastructure must be viewed in relation to the land reform program and the life scale farming pro program by the Department of Agriculture to ensure food security. Honorable Chairperson, this program creates an enabling infrastructure to get produced to, to, to the market, which create a real livelihood for the people in the rural area. The department is in the process of recruiting 360 qualified artisan, 300 artisan trainee and engineering trainee from the participating provinces for Willisi Way program, pending program funding from the National Treasury. Honorable Chairperson, furthermore, Plan and inspection completed for the 96 bridges to be constructed in 2022-2023 financial year and awaiting budget allocation for national treasures. It is expected that 8,266 job opportunities will be created when the 96 bridges are completed. It is important that 
National Treasury fund this project as it is integrated with the land reform and will contribute to inclusive economy development in all provinces and strengthen food security. Honorable Chair, the program seeks to create decent work opportunity and provide training opportunity for unskilled marginalized community and unemployment people in South Africa. The budget allocation from this program in this financial year is 307 billion. This is to ensure that the 69 public bodies are provided coordination support with a further 290 public bodies are provided with technical support. The expanded public works program is designed to ensure that those who are historically disadvantaged and cannot be employed in magnificent. The expanded public works program is designed to ensure that those who are historically disadvantaged and cannot be employed in the manufacturing, mining, agriculture, techno technological or civic sector of the economic are able to obtain gainful employment and be at the same, at the same time skills. It should be borne in mind that the public works program are targeted at the economical poorest household in the country in both urban and rural areas. This program provides the only form of income for this household. In conclusion, Honorable Chairperson, the department has many challenges to resolve, but it has certainly made steady progress. The current program and project are going a long way in developing the capacity and the capability required to implement the new program and project. The necessity support provided to each entity are implementing agency of developing, developing is being prioritized. This entity contains the expertise in the building environment area for the implementation of Department of Infrastructure Project. As the ANC, we support the police, but police, as the ANC, we support the police vote number 13. Ma'am Shodi, we'll now move on to uh, Honorable <coughs> Masimula. Uh, Honorable Masimula, MEC Public Works, Roads and Infrastructure in Limpopo. Honorable Masimula. Honorable Dixon Masimula. Uh, Honorable Dixon Masimula. There seems to be a problem there. So we'll come back to Dixon. We'll proceed to Honorable DeBray. Honorable DeBray. Thank you, Honourable Chair. <clears throat> Honourable Chair, last year we all we heard all the promises and plans from the Honourable Honourable Minister, and sadly, same as every year, very little has come of all those plans and promises. 
Last year, we heard of the establishment of the infrastructure called Anti-Corruption Forum. And this year, the minister said, and I quote, the forum's operation structures have been set up. This year, we will see the forum place greater emphasis on awareness and prevention activities to encourage people to come forward with information on corruption so that we can put perpetrators behind bars, close quote. Honorable Minister, people have been coming forward with information regarding corruption for years already, only to be ignored. And I seriously doubt that if this forum will have any real success, but please do prove me wrong. Honorable Chair, in preparation of this speech, I thought to myself, let's find some positive points about to address about regarding this department, only to realize a day later that I was wasting my time. Infrastructure in general is collapsing. Public works has more debt than it can afford, and in general, this department is failing in its mandate. Voorzitter, as gekeken moet worden naar die verval en die toestand van ons skole, paie, polistasies, hospitale enzovoorts, is het duidelijk dat hierdie departement en die minister nie in staat is om ook licht te vervangen. Die Vrijstaatse Psychiatrische Centrum in Bloemfontein, wat eens die vlagskip van psychiatrische zorg in die land was, staan vandaag slechts als een silhouet van waar het eens was. Die gebouwe is bouwvallig en die gras en onkruid staan skouwerhoogte oor die hele terreinje. So is het ook die geval by die Nationale en die Bellinomie Hospitale. Die Parkweg Polistasie staan al 2017 is het al een constructieterrein, waar die openlik die derde contracteer nou eerst die project sal gaan afhangen. Die geraamde verlies op hierdie project beloof geloof meer as 48 miljoen rand. In dele van die vrystaat is die paie so slecht dat mense eerder op die skouwers of in die veld rijd. En daarby wil ek anheg dat hierdie departement die bloed van honderde mense op hulle hande het wat hierdie jaar op ons paie verongeluk het as gevolg van die swak toestand van ons paie. Hierdie paar voorbeelde en vele, hierdie paar voorbeelde van vele, samen met die afgebrande par, parlement, staan ons monumente van die ANC-regering en hierdie departement so onvermoe. Maar jaar na jaar moet ons luister na diezelfde beloftes, hoe die minister hierdie landse infrastructuur gaan verbeter. En jaar na jaar is die teleerstelling en die corruptie net groter. Honderbel Tje, how can we in good conscience approve any budget for this department for new infrastructure, when it can't even maintain its current infrastructure? No budget will solve the incompetence of this department, and throwing more money on the problem won't solve it either. It will only lead to more corruption. And if the minister is truly committed to cleaning up this department and getting it on track to work for government and all South Africa, as she has stated in her presentation, she will have to start by rooting out corruption and get a deployment. Appoint capable staff and officials, and she will have to go back to the drawing board to first say what is left to say before planning any new projects. So, Honorable Minister, I sincerely hope that one of the 96 breaches planned for the next year will give you access to a path where this is possible. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Debrain. We'll move on to Honorable Kivit, Deputy Minister of Public Works. Honorable Kivit. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson of the NCOP, Honorable Masondo, the Minister of Public Works, uh, the Honorable Chairperson of the Select Committee, and Honorable Moimang, the Honorable Permanent and Special Delegates, uh, Premiers and MCs, uh, the representative of SALGA, fellow South Africans. Uh, it gives me quite a great pleasure to be participating in this debate about building our motherland. 
on Africa Day, a day on which leaders of our great continent met and worked out a path to freedom and development for Africa some 59 years ago. And I wish all of us a happy Africa Day. We have come here to assert our role in the rebuilding and revitalizing of our economy and thereby to discharge our duty to the great country. There is no doubt that our country has had a fair share of socioeconomic challenges in the recent past, including an economy that is sluggish, complicating the triple challenges of poverty, unemployment, and inequality. In his acceptance speech, having been elected first president of the OAU, the Emperor Haile Selassie said, and I quote, the task on which we have embarked, the making of Africa will not wait. We must act to shape and mold the future and leave our imprint on the events as they slip past into history. And close quote. And today, for us, that task is about economic recovery and reconstruction. Our department with the rest of government has a duty and a responsibility to help the nation to transcend the current difficulties in terms of the economic recovery and uh, economic recovery plan, and thereby also live up to what our people expect and so deserve of us. We dare not fail them. The steps that we are embarking upon to realize the recovery trajectory is to ensure that all our entities have a clear footmark in all our provinces. The golden thread in their current mandate is the duty to transform the sector into a more effective, responsive industry, uh, reflective of our ambitions as a nation, both in form and in content. Uh, referring to the, starting with the IDT, which is the Independent Development Trust, this entity of the department is currently embarking on various projects in almost all our provinces. These include province, uh, projects in the Eastern Cape, where the entity has partnered with the Department of Education to build and to refurbish various schools in the province. In Gauteng, the entity is busy with the Department of Correctional Services Facilities, in Limpopo, working with the Department of Health to build and um, renovate health facilities, as well as in the Northern Cape, the Department of Education, working with IDT, is renovating an unutilized school um, in Haleshiwe, into changing it into a state-of-the-art Ridorile Combined School. Um, the, the allocation for IDT in this uh, current financial year, as you may be aware, we are supporting them with administrative costs, um, is currently at uh, 93 million, and the department continues to support the entity um, moving forward. 
with respect to the Council for the Built Environment. The Council plans to support all our districts on the implementation of the Structured Candidacy Program, whilst ensuring that the sector drives demand and increases productivity. Over the medium term, the CBE will continue to advocate for the Council for the Built Environment Professions uh, contributions to social, economic, and environmental development. In Limpopo, the Council is working with the Premier's Office to coordinate all interventions pertaining to the district development model implementation. In the province of KZN, Besides uh, providing assistance in mobilizing built environment capacity to assist with the disaster recovery, they are involved in career awareness programs with uh, the Construction Education and Training Authority, the CETA, and the Department of Higher Education and Training in Umkungundlovu District uh, Municipality, uh, targeting at least uh, 2,000 learners in that province. Currently, the CBE allocation for the current financial year is at uh, 54 million compared to 53.5, uh, which it received in the last financial year. With respect to the Construction Industry Development Board, the CIDB, uh, that body, the CIDP, concluded an organization design process in order to be more effective in delivering on the mandate. Uh, the minister did speak to the CIDP uh, amendment bill, which is currently uh, on course. The primary focus of the process is development, transformation, uh, industry performance improvement and promotion of ethical conduct. They have a presence in every province in a country and in order to deliver on their mandate. In terms of uh, development, they assist uh, the client departments to move from planning to implementation stage with the aim of developing all role players in the built environment value chain. In, in KZN and the Western Cape, the CIDB has partnered with the city of Cape Town and uh, the Department of Transport uh, respectively to deliver on projects where they assist the contractor registration and ensuring that contractors meet the necessary requirements for the registration. This has resulted in the improvement uh, of the National Contractor Development Program. In terms of gender empowerment and transformation, they focus on women and recognize excellence amongst women in the construction industry. More than 500 learners received workplace uh, experiential training during the 2020-21 financial year and the support is continuing. For the current uh, financial year, the CIDP has been allocated an amount of almost uh, 80 uh, million. 
Honorable Chairperson, um, we now move to Agrima SA. Agrima SA has processed and issued 16 certificates for innovative um, built environment products and systems in the year 2021-22. This included alternative building technologies. We intend to continue holding the end of this entity, which is busy with a business plan for the establishment of a sustainability rating tool for the public buildings and is currently administering a government ready um, a, a government ready to be launched um, um, eco-labeling scheme on behalf of our department. Having realized that many South Africans are not aware of what this entity is working on, um, they are embarking on a roadshow to showcase their service countrywide. Agrima SA's allocation this financial year is at 33.9 million. As I conclude, Honorable Chair, I must make the point that our department has many challenges and weaknesses. We are committed to turning it around and to ensure that the service delivery for the betterment of all our people. Um, we need to ask the question, didn't Karl Marx talk about people who have only described the world in various ways? Our responsibility, therefore, is to change it. Uh, we wish to, uh, we believe success is not measured uh, by what a person accomplishes. Uh, but thank you, thank you, Chair. I would have liked to hear a bit more about Marx, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. We'll, we'll proceed to the next speaker, Honorable N.M. Haddebe. Honorable Haddebe. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, um, Honorable Members. <clears throat> the devastating floods in Guazulu-Natal, which was caused which has caused billions of rents of damage, has undeniably exposed to the dire state of aging infrastructure and lack of maintenance. The extensive damage caused to state-owned buildings, providing vital public service and damage caused to roads and bridges, serving rural communities with little access to resources, require urgent intervention. Although the IFP welcomes the establishment of the Joint Ad Hoc Committee to monitor the relief measures implemented by government, the, don the daunting task ahead of the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure must be attended to with agency. Above all, it is vital that the department clearly communicates with the public on measures adopted to ensure transparency and instill faith in the public that this task is attended to with efficiency and competence. The department's latest annual performance plan instills little confidence that the department applies the necessary agency to ensure long-standing matters are resolved. It is alarming that the legislation that would empower the department to collect fees 
relating to leasing, collecting and maintenance costs due by client departments is still outstanding. There has been promises of reviewing the 1997 and 1999 white paper for years and the public works be the enabling legislating has been in the pipeline for many years. We cannot continue to tolerate the department's excuses for failure to review these white, these white papers and finalizing the draft public works bill. The IFP remains committed to closely monitor the department's performance relating to the, final, to fi, to the finalizing of this critical legislation that will enable the property management trading entity to enforce compliance. The IFP furthermore, on consideration of the department's budget and latest annual performance plan, remains highly concerned about the alarming number of unemployed built, unemployed built environment professional graduates in the council for <clears throat> a, Please proceed and speak to your mic. Um, thank you, thank you. It is uh, astonishing that 10,089 10, of these graduates are currently unemployed despite having a vital skill that can logically should uh, uh, utilized by municipalities. These realities must urgently be addressed as it remains incomprehensively that such skills are not being properly utilized. The IFPs uh, will closely monitor the progress on linking these graduates to infrastructure projects. And the IFP will also closely monitor the progress reports submitted by the council for the built environment, environment of these <coughs> to strengthen their regulatory function of a professional built council. In conclusion, honorable chairperson, it is critical that we continue to carefully monitor and analyze the department's performance outcome and demand accountability and transparency on behalf of the people of South Africa. With that being said, Honorable Chairperson, uh, I wish to state that uh, nevertheless, the IFP accept the budget vote. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll now proceed to Honorable J.J. Lund. Honorable Lund. Thank you. Thank you, um, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, uh, Honorable Minister and Honorable Members. On the department's website, it says that South Africa works when public works work. Currently, I am sure that all of us are worried about the crumbling infrastructure the unprotected high-value land that should be used to unlock economic opportunities that is now being targeted and then occupied and not enough is being done to remove illegal occupiers and thereby tying up those that land in long, costly legal battles. If we look at what this department is responsible for and we see how it doesn't work at this stage, is it no wonder that South Africa is struggling? The continued failure of this ANC government is also starting to hamper effective oversight. There is absolutely no arguing that the mess of ESCOM, the continuous rolling, and it's not load shedding, it's blackouts that we have, 
is entirely the fault of the ANC. This affects networks, and even though we might not always like what colleagues have to say in Parliament, every single member in Parliament represents voices across the length and the breadth of South Africa. And it's now because of this ANC incompetence that voices like Honorable Bosov and Honorable Apleni cannot be heard because of the ANC that cannot do the basics well. It is an absolute tragedy that one of our houses of parliament burned down, and we need to ensure that those responsible for neglecting the maintenance and ensuring that there are stuff like working sprinklers, early warning systems, that that is in place, those people should be held accountable. In most other democracies in the world, Minister DeLille, the responsible political head would have long ago fell on his or her sword if that happened under their watch. It's not the case in South Africa. There's not a culture of accountability. However, there is a second House of Parliament, the NCOP, that wasn't as severely affected as the National Assembly. And the NCOP can be used and should be used. We should have gone back to in-person meetings long ago. But this department and the people responsible for ensuring that the state of democracy in our country is actually working, they're not doing their job. Now, if you're not even looking at one of the most iconic symbols and buildings in the country, how can we expect you to look after every other piece that you are responsible for? I hope that sooner rather than later, we'll move back to the in-person meetings and that this department and the other people responsible make sure that we go back and holding one another accountable in the House and making sure that we do not lose out of voices of, of members. <laughs> acting MEC Mamabolo, uh, you definitely came across as an acting MEC. And even in your own portfolio last week, um, you, you struggled to realize that you are underperforming. I mean, you were impressed with your own performance. Um, you were the one that said that the MEC uh, or that the Minister Mbalula is a youth. Um, that's basically the same as saying that Minister DeLille never knew what Melissa Whitehead was up to. So I would suggest, I think for today, you were actually blessed by putting another picture on, but I th actually think you did a disservice because you should put your face next to the words that you utter. Colleagues, South Africa can work and South Africa should work. And one of the most critical drivers of the economic recovery is making sure that our public works department functions optimally, that we utilize the assets we've got in government and make sure that we use that to unlock key economic opportunities. We currently sit with policies and with an economic climate that scare off investors. But if we can make sure that we show up and clear up that policies and attract investors, the country will be turned around. Unfortunately, in the current trajectory with the, well, I don't know if it's good, but there may be the less good ANC alliance, this will not happen. So we'll have to make sure that we get rid of you at the polls in 2024. And all indications are that you will be sitting 
with a coalition government in the country. And I do hope and pray that you get low enough support that you cannot form a government and somebody else together with the DA. Time is up. Thanks. Thank you very much. Don't be so protective, Chair. We will now proceed to Honorable Chai. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, greetings to you, Honorable Chairperson, uh, Honorable Deputy Chairperson, uh, Honorable Chief Whip, uh, Honorable House Chairpersons, uh, Honorable Minister and Honorable Deputy Minister, Honorable MSCs, Honorable Permanent and Special Delegates, uh, Honorable Representative of Salga, uh, Honorable Chairperson, the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan which is current, which is the current ANC government economic policy, places the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure in an important place to positively contribute through its different programs and projects to ensure infrastructure development and job creation in all provinces and municipalities. The department is strategically poised in its different programs and projects to ensure that inclusive economic development can occur and that job creation becomes an important leg in infrastructure-driven growth. This is a crucial part towards transformation and economic liberation of the majority of the people of this country. Settler colonialism was based on conquest and forced seizure of land. It excluded the majority from legitimate economic activity and therefore the country must correct this historical injustice through a conscious process of restoration and transformation. It is the fate of the history that this is not those who benefited from apartheid system, like Honorable Lund, which contribute to fixing the problem created by apartheid, but rather the victims who have been historically charged since the 1994 democratic elections to fix the legacy of apartheid. It is important that in this policy vote of the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure, that attention is focused on the issue of land for urban and rural development. The department and its entities in the built environment and construction sector will have to play a crucial role in infrastructure development and urban and rural settlement as part of its contribution to the delivery of the economic reconstruction and recovery plan. The property management and trading entity must play a crucial role in optimizing government property portfolio. And this must commence with ensuring that there is comprehensive record of all government immovable property. It is important that attention be given to the optimization of revenue generation from government building, and this will assist in closing the funding gap required for implementation of programs of the department. The backlog of title deeds also requires urgent attention. This will enable a further development to occur. The backlog of maintenance requires to be addressed to optimize the value of government buildings. This is a sort source of job creation and enables the creation of small and medium enterprises in the maintenance sector. However, the SONA of 2022 
has focused on the development of infrastructure in the form of roads and bridges, as well as creating student accommodation and social housing. The department in conjunction with the Department of Human Settlement have made and will continue to make parcels of land available for social housing in the different provinces. For the development of social housing, the department has thus far released 44 land parcels measuring 2,560 hectares for human settlement uh, purposes and have been released to the housing development agency through special power of attorney to enable development planning in relation to land redistribution. The department has released 120 land parcels measuring 25,549 hectares from the 1st of April 2019 to date. Another K1 land passes measuring 10,350 hectares is waiting supporting documentation in terms of the pre-feasibility studies and extent of planned development from the Housing Development Agency. This is certainly a positive measure of progress on the side of the department to ensure availability of land for social housing and land redistribution. The department together with CIDB has developed a draft construction industry recovery plan. The plan provides the status quo of the construction industry and identifies areas of intervention, which will lead to an increase in the construction sector's contribution to the GDP. The implementation of the plan for the recovery of the reconstruction industry be implemented as this will ensure implementation of the development plans in the built environment and contribute to the development of auxiliary supporting industries which supply the construction industry with goods, with goods services and materials. It is critical that the expertise in the built environment from the entities of the department is brought to assist in the development of social housing. These areas which are being developed, developed for social housing must not be merely housing projects. And the department in conjunction with other departments need to ensure that there is holistic housing development, which is integrated with social amenities, such as health facilities, schools, uh, sporting facilities, public libraries, this is essential to create a community environment which provide concrete and constructive alternatives to community development. Efficient public transport is necessary as people require access to job opportunities. The development of the macroeconomy is critical for local job creation and inclusive economic development. When land is being made available for transport hubs, it is imperative that it, that it includes the development of small and medium enterprises to stimulate township economies. It is important, uh, Honorable Minister, that government is able to ascertain whether land allocated for social housing by the national government is not utilized by provinces and municipalities which sell the land to developers for developing of housing or apartments which only is geared towards those who can afford such luxury development projects. It has to be for the development of housing for those who are marginalized and for those who, due to their low income, do
do not qualify for boards. This means that the housing development agency has a pool of skills and talent from CIDB, CBE, and Agrima South Africa in order to create an ethical, capable, and development state. It is imperative that expertise that is available in government is optimally utilized to ensure the success of deliverables outcomes. This means that the entities under the department dealing with government land and built environment need to be optimally functioning in terms of governance and financial control. The IDT also needs to be positioned to be able to develop some of these projects as uh, the Honorable Deputy Minister has explained, especially in relation to the restoration of government buildings, as well as a conversion of some of these buildings for student accommodation. This will enable the entity to engage in development, which is the core function and competence of the department. Infrastructure development and social houses will economically and socially benefit all the provinces and municipality. On legislation, uh, Honorable Aplani, the expropriation bill is current, currently being processed by parliament, and it is important arena for ensuring that development in the public interest is not stifled. It also allows for expropriation of land in the public interest for the correction of historical injustice and ensure land restitution in certain instances. While it is not the legislation dealing with land redistribution in general, it will enable development in urban and rural areas, which is in the public interest. It is important that the development work of the department in all provinces is conducted within the framework of overarching legislation which enables the National Department of Public Works and Infrastructure to coordinate its work across the three spheres of government and ensure accountability of its entities in all provinces. This means that it is important that the Public Works Bill is completed and processed by Parliament within this financial year. This will ensure the greater accountability by all sectors which deal with the programs and projects led by the National Department of Public Works and Infrastructure. Legislation dealing with infrastructure should also be developed to ensure that there is an overarching legislative and regulatory framework which guides important infrastructure uh, development. On skill development, infrastructure development will require skills and capability. It is important that the youth uh, graduates and with qualification who are currently unemployed and what required in the built environment area be given job opportunity in these projects. The department is also busy through the expanded public works program with a skilling program for artisans in terms of electricians, plumbers, and other related areas of maintenance and construction in all provinces. It is important that the department is able to enhance this program and consider how these artisans can be employing social housing projects and infrastructure development to ensure that they are able to concretely gain work experience. Job creation is critical, and in this case, with capability and skills. The departments intend utilizing the procurement of goods and services 
to ensure the creation of small and medium enterprises. This is a critical part of ensuring entrepreneurship and job creation as a microeconomy is a major job creator if the development occurs in the local communities. In conclusion, Honorable Chairperson, the department must overcome its challenges of the past and ensure that it implements its 10 areas of business improvement to enable it to deliver outcomes on the ground in, in communities, not just outputs. The entities under the department must be operational in terms of boards and management with the correct skills and capability to ensure proper corporate governance and financial controls and financial accountability. It is critical that programs and projects are implemented and the benefits accrue to the people of the country who merely seek a better life for all. The Select Committee will pay a key attention to the rollout programs and projects. It will oversight the progress and outcomes of the programs and projects. A lot of work awaits all in the sector in service of the people, and the department needs to embrace the challenge and focus on its performance plans and implement the plans of government in the different provinces <coughs> and municipalities. And there are some of the statements uh, um, that have been attributed, particularly to the African National Congress. And this issue that uh, was raised by Honorable Lapostagno of uh, APWPs. You know, this statement has been, uh, uh, I mean, banded around even in the last term. Um, the Deputy Minister, uh, Jeremy Cronin, explained that the department has guidelines. As a committee, we ask the department to publish these guidelines on the website of the department. And the department confirmed that the guidelines with regard to the recruitment of uh, extended public works uh, workers is in the website of the uh, of the department. But again, this uh, term, this this uh, accusation and allegations uh, are continuing. Uh, Honorable Minister, the we met with the department on the twentieth of April. The information that you said you're going to provide to us has already been provided. It was part of the uh, annual performance plan uh, of the department. So we have all the, the, the documents, uh, the information that you, you, you're referring to. Just an advice to those that uh, are participating in the debate. The least that you can do, uh, in fact, in all the debates, because I've been observing that uh, most members of the opposition are general and sometimes are personal. They're not focusing on the programs of the department and also the budget that is being allocated. For example, the Department of uh, uh, Public Works and Infrastructure has uh, five uh, uh, programs, which is administration, intergovernmental coordination, EPWPs, property and construction industry, policy and research, and prestige. None of the speakers have been speaking on these issues uh, from the opposition, except uh, the IFP. With regard to PMT, it's called six uh, uh, programs, actually five programs, administration, real estate investment services, construction management services, real estate registry services, facilities management services. So 
I wish that uh, members could also be talking to those programs when they deliver their speeches, not just to be general and be personal. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. Before we move on to the minister, uh, just to double check again, is Honorable B. Matikizela on the, on, uh, on, on, on the system? Chair, and thank you for your guidance. Um, also, I would like to thank the Deputy Minister for her dedication and hard work and turning around this department uh, to the Honourable Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee. Also, thank you for your guidance and Honourable Members. Um, Honourable Chairperson, uh, the target for government is to have 10% vacancies. Uh, public works is currently on 11%. And the action that we've taken was to engage the services of the Department of Public Service and Administration, and they've assigned a team to us to help us to, to meet our target. Also, in terms of the properties, we have introduced a new innovative method of refurbish, operate, and transfer in partnership with the private sector and we are packaging five buildings to go out into the next month to get a proof of concept so that we can uh, market more of the buildings uh, uh, for, for, for refurbishment. Uh, we have also put out a tender to digitize our immovable asset re register that include the maintenance of the asset register, and that will lead us to put the um, immovable asset register onto a blockchain. Uh, just in terms of the, we have established the Infrastructure Build Anti-Corruption Forum. It's chaired by Advocate Motibe, led by the SAU, other law enforcement agencies, the private sector and uh, civil society. So it's well on its way. The Public Works Bill, we have reported progress this morning to the Portfolio Committee in the NA and we can certainly do the the same for uh, the NCOP. I agree with uh, Honorable Moimang that we need to get value for money. That's exactly when the Auditor General advised us that all the month-to-month -month leases, it's irregular expenditure, that we stopped that, that we started renegotiating the overcharging of leases by the private sector to government, and in the last financial year, we've saved 273 million rand. So I do agree with you. On, on Honorable Brutuset, I just want to remind him again of the last order that was done by the Department of Rural Development and Land Reform. 14% of the land in South Africa belongs to the state. 79% is in the hands of private people like himself. And we've got 7% of land unaccounted for. 
So lag is also held by all three spheres of government. Uh, with the, the, the provincial governments have got their own immovable asset registers, so does the uh, local municipalities and metropolitans. So when we talk land, land reform, it is not just national government, it is all three spheres of government that must come become involved in, in, in land reform. I'm very surprised that after all of these years that the honorable members in the NCOP that is not realized in terms of the constitution that public works and infrastructure is a concurrent power. That's why even today you've got the MECs speaking in this debate. I'm very surprised at that. And, and therefore, um, we have to look at public works and local government and provincial government, and they must all be held uh, to account. Uh, then just also the one of the members spoke about that we are doing nothing. I don't know which country is living in because we've given we've, we've given 30 more than 30 uh, title deeds, 30 more than 30 black farmers in, in Limpopo. We have released over 25,000 hectares of land for up and coming black farmers. And it's all work in progress and we are trying our best. I just want to say to Honorable De Brain that if there's anybody in this country with any information on corruption, they must go to the police. They don't need to wait for a forum. And if you've got any proof that this forum, it was established in 2021, that we have not taken up any of the corruption charges or corruption complaints that came to us, please give me the evidence and I will investigate. But I, I couldn't really make sense of the, the honorable member's speech because it sounded like Klaag Liedere van Jeremia and the Bible, and it's a manetse hot senio. That and um, also the issue of uh, the, 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 the fire at the Houses of Parliament. Uh, we've given many reports uh, to joint standing committees of uh, Parliament. And we've received the final report on the 20th of May. We've reported that last week on Friday. We are in the process of processing it because it must go to the National Director for Pro Public Prosecutions as, as evidence too. So that is work in progress. I just want to assure Honorable Hai that yes, it's become normal that provincial governments and local governments and metropolitans especially scream out for land from National Department of Public Works. When we give them the land, they sell it off to developers. We have now put a special clause in since 2019 that yes, we will give you the land gratis, but if you ever want to sell this land, the Department of Public Works will be the first option to take the land back. So we, that is how we are protecting state land now. Also, just the um, in terms of uh, the budget, I agree with you. I sincerely hope that my members will take the time to read the budget, read the budget, please. And then we can debate what is in the budget because after all, this budget is put before the elected members of parliament for consideration for approval. But when you've not read the budget and you are just repeating the same speech that you did the last year and the year before, 
it's, it's very difficult, Honorable Chairperson, to then engage. So I really appeal to all members of the NCOP, especially from the opposition, to read the budget, and then they will see that there are attempts for us to save taxpayers' money, but we will also be wasting taxpayers' money that's paying the public representatives to read the budget. So let's stop wasting money on all sides. And from my commitment, I will be the first to admit that although we've made progress in the past two and a half years, that their chairperson, there's still a lot to be done. And together with the guidance and the advice and the direction from the elected representatives of parliament, we want to be held accountable. And, 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 and we learn a lot and, and we get a lot of good advice. Let us engage and let us rebuild our country. If you are a patriot, you will believe that every single person in this country has got a duty to say, let us rebuild our country. And the emphasis is on our. Then I have hope for our country, uh, Chairperson, if we all work together. I want to thank all of you for your inputs and your contributions. And thank you for those members that have supported um, the budget. Thank you very much and God bless. Minister. God bless. Thank you very much, Minister. Honorable members, uh, let me take this opportunity to thank the minister, uh, deputy ministers, MECs, and all special delegates for availing themselves for the debate. Uh, that, uh, honorable members, concludes the business of the day. The House is now adjourned. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Thank you so much. Long live the Chair. Long live. Long live the Chair.